talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to an outdoor Buckeye talk. I'm yelling because I'm sitting in the bleachers and I'm wedged in. And I need to make sure that my diaphragm is working. And I'm getting the sound out because, again, I'm wedged. And why am I wedged? Because we're doing a three-person pod, baby. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Doug Maurice. The three-person podcast has returned to Buckeye Talk. And we just got done talking to coaches and players on Tuesday night. And now we are sitting outside. You hear the crickets? Do you hear that? The gentle hum. The gentle hum. That's the gentle hum of Nathan Baird. Native to Indiana. Now transplanted Native to Ohio. Native to Illinois, actually. Native, well, yeah. I've been all over the Big Ten footprint. You are, uh, you're infesting every part of the Big Ten. I'm just slowly wow. creeping my way east. Yeah. Much like the Big Ten itself. So, uh, yeah. Jim Delaney is going to make you work in New Jersey very soon. So we are back. We have a million questions from tech subscribers. We have a bunch of questions from Twitter people. And we are going to dive right in. Uh, because we want to have our people talk to your people. Again, the free person pod is back, and we're going to start off with the most pressing question that we got from somebody. Have you tried the new Popeye's chicken sandwich? It will change your life. That's from Jared on the tech subscriber list, and I believe there is only one of the three of us who has tried that sandwich. Stephen, the floor is yours. So, yes, Jared, I have tried the new Popeye's chicken sandwich. I got Last night, me and my roommate decided... While we, when I got done working and he got home, we're going to go to Popeye's after we work out and get this sandwich, which is probably not the best thing to eat after you just worked out, but listen, we're in our mid-20s, we can do whatever we want. So we go get the sandwich. We got one classic and one spicy. The spicy one is better and is heaven in your mouth, literally. Okay. Is it, how, how, how spicy is that heaven though? Because some people <laughs> don't like a spicy heaven. What is the degree of spice? So, do you like B-dubs or do you like um, roosters? I like roosters better. Okay, so like the medium rooster sauce, Yeah, it's not as spicy as that. Not as spicy? Okay, I get hot. I get the hot. I get a hot. So, I I would like that spicy. Yeah, you won't have to like drink some water after every single time you take a bite. But it's a delicious spicy. It's a great spicy. The best, have you had the spicy Chick-fil-A? I have. Is it better than that? It's better than Chick-fil-A. Have you had the spicy Wendy's? It's better than spicy Wendy's. Ah, see, that's... I have a hard time believing that. It's better. I think Spicy Wendy's is the best, like, mass-produced, ma- easy-to-find fast food chicken sandwich. No. It's... it's it's they, Until now. Yeah, they butter the <laughs> bread. I didn't get pickles on it. I don't understand people who like pickles on chicken sandwiches. If you do, I just don't understand you. But they butter the bread. It is the greatest thing I've ever tasted from fast food. I'm going to have to try that. You have to get it. I think we might have to do a live Buckeye Talk inside of a Popeye's. That's kind of the ethos of Buckeye Talk uh, that I think we can get back to now. Eating food live on the microphone. All right. Maybe the fine people at Popeye's would be interested in sponsoring Buckeye. There you go. We actually... <laughs> so also, someone sent a very nice text, uh, a business owner who listens to Buckeye Talk, saying that he would be interested in possibly uh, oh. being a sponsor. And I ran it up the flagpole, and actually we are changing uh, our podcast platform and going to a platform that is going to insert national ads into our podcast oh, in the cool. future. We're not there yet, but it actually might be a way for us to make money. So in the future, you may hear something like, and we'll be back right after this on Buckeye Talk. The new Honda Accord. Is- you know, like that's the world we might be entering right. into. So like prepare for that. And whenever you hear that, just be, just be content in the knowledge that that's helping us keep our jobs 
every time you hear an ad for the new, uh, maybe Popeye's chicken sandwich. But yeah, we, no more running around getting our own ads. We're actually... Uh, We're moving up in the world. Moving. We're stepping into the 19th century. Woo! All right, so let's deal with some stuff that I think is uh, almost as interesting as chicken sandwiches. Again, follow us on Twitter, at BuckeyeTalkPod, at Stephen underscore Means, at Doug Maurice, and, and at NBairdJC. Which is still sticking around? For now, yeah. I haven't, among the many, many, many things I've had to do in the 48 hours that I've been here and uh, the moving I still have to do, I haven't quite gotten around to changing the Twitter handle, but I assume probably that will happen at some point. Or you're just going to be and bear just chilling, as we discussed. Just right. chilling, yeah. Um, question about people always are curious about this about how long quarterbacks should stay in games this is a question from the 330 if we have a blowout situation do you feel ryan day would try and get both backups work or do you feel fields needs all the work he can get early in a season that's from dave and again let's ask this question with the knowledge that the beginning of the season is florida atlantic cincinnati at indiana miami of ohio and then week five is nebraska so you have sort of those first four games to get yourself ready for nebraska which means getting ready in terms of staying healthy and means getting ready in terms of getting everybody to play as well as they can. Uh, from the conversation that I had with Lane Kiffin that will appear eventually uh, on Cleveland.com, I didn't know for sure that Florida Atlantic would be a blowout until I talked to Florida Atlantic's head coach, and he was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a blowout. <laughs> so, so I was like, ah, it's in, they're in Florida. I don't know. There's a lot of good players in Florida. He, was, he didn't say it's going to be a blowout, but – that might be a chance to get Chug or Gunner Hoke sometime. Um, Miami of Ohio certainly should be that situation. At Indiana, you don't know. Indiana can it can get hairy there sometimes. And uh, Cincinnati, I think, is going to be a game. But what, do you guys – let's not talk general philosophy because we have a specific situation. Knowing what we know about Justin Fields and then knowing what we know about Gunner Hoke and Chris Chuganoff, who, according to Ryan Day, they are still battling for the number two spot. How important do you think it is to get the backup quarterback snaps in the first four games, or how important is it to get Justin Fields every snap he can possibly get? Well, it's it's important to win the first four games, as many of them as you can, in such a way that you might conceivably put the quarterback in, especially that Miami-Ohio game. Uh, you could probably say that about Florida Atlantic. Ohio State should be in a position in those kind of games to have to use it or have the opportunity to use its backup quarterback because the outcome is a foregone conclusion early enough. And I think there is... A, a kind of a law of diminishing returns here. You do want to get Fields as many reps as you can against opposing ones early in the season. He does need those, even though he did have some experience last season. I think you want to see what he does, and he he needs more than just what he's had. I think here in the preseason, he is still a relative newcomer. He is still developing, um, gelling with these guys, that sort of thing. However, there is a point at which giving him more time compared to the injury risk that's there in a blowout makes it more prudent to to pull him out and get one of those other guys in. But I think at some point this season, not because he's injury prone, not because of anything, but it'll, it's more likely than not that Ohio State will need another quarterback on the field to do something. Um, it's at worst probably a 50-50 proposition. Guys get hurt. Guys get banged up, even if it's just for one series. So um, those other two guys, again, based on what Ryan Day said yesterday, those guys need more. Those guys need more um, – legitimate time against real competition to get better and, and and Ohio State needs to see if they can get that for them as soon as possible. I think it's an interesting situation simply because none of those guys are going to be taking the field for the first time. Now they're going to be taking the field for the first time as a Buckeye, but all those guys have seen the field 
in some way or another at another school. So it's not like they're any of those guys are like, you're getting your first taste of college football. All of them have seen experience. So the qu- question is, are you keeping Justin Fields in the game one series longer than you need to? And maybe against Florida Atlantic, you do do that. I don't know if you do that against Miami, Ohio, because by then it'd be in his third game. So he'd been there for a, for a minute, but maybe you do do that for the first game just to get all those jitters out and, get a little bit more experience when you're playing against somebody who isn't wearing the same colors as you. Um, it's all shades of gray, right? I don't think anybody thinks that the backup quarterback should start the third quarter. I don't think anybody thinks that Justin Fields should play every snap in a 60-point win. Mm-hmm. If Ohio State is ahead of Florida Atlantic 42-10, to 10, who, which quarterback should take the field for the first drive of the fourth quarter? You know, I, you know, whichever one that the the coaching staff feels is the the backup. I'm using finger the number quotes two. here. The number Not two Justin guy. Fields. I would say no. I don't know what you necessarily gain from him being out there in the fourth quarter relative to what you could lose if something really goes haywire. Um, you, especially because of just the way the game is going to be played at that point. Um, are you still attacking in the same way with your offense? If he's just out there handing off. There's not necessarily, I guess you could argue then, I guess there's not a lot of to be gained by having the backup in there too, but I just don't know what you really gain from having him in a game at that point. That early in the season, um, there's just too much at stake to take a chance on something going sideways. I would, I would put the number two guy in because that also gives you, assuming things don't go, you know, really sideways on Ohio State, that gives you time to also get that third guy in there if you want to get him reps in a later series. Doug, I think it was you who asked the question about how many hits do you think is, I guess, reasonable for Justin Fields to be taking in a game. Good point. If you're up 42 to 10, you're probably running the ball a lot, which means there's probably going to be a little bit of read option involved, which means there's a chance Justin Fields can take hits and you're up 42 to 10 and there's no reason for him to take hits. So I think at the four, start of fourth quarter, whoever your decided number two quarterback is, which is probably going to be Gunnar Hoke, that's who needs to take the field by the fourth quarter. Are we, are we okay with Justin Fields playing the entire third quarter? Again, oh, come on, you got to let him play the third yeah. quarter. Well, yeah, circumstances I dictate. I think you are. I mean, I guess there's there's also some scenarios, too, where it's a, um, a, you know, a crazy uh, rainstorm hits Columbus and it's a muddy out there and you don't want to take that chance, whatever. I don't know. It's possible that the, the score could be even more lopsided than, than what you're talking about, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I think I – think, Again, that's why I'm talking about the law of diminishing returns. I see why he needs to get as many reps as you can, but there is a point where 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 score and time dictate that the prudent decision is to get somebody else in there, especially because you do need Ohio State does need to develop those other guys. I think in those two games where we know this is going to be a blowout and Ohio State's going to win the game, you treat it how Clemson is going to treat Trevor Lawrence. You play the first three quarters and then you sit down. I, I one of the more famous arguments I've had with people uh, on this beat was like, might have been in. 13 it was about keeping Braxton Miller in games and I I am just very much on the side of like you only get to be here for so long like you practice all year long to play playing is fun and like honestly the thing that I always say is honestly if you said to yourself we're gonna take Justin Fields out against Florida Atlantic the minute we have the game in hand you wouldn't let him dress Right. That like if you if no 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 because that's, that's not yeah. the argument because that, that's what I'm saying. There's a law of diminishing returns. No, I know, a, but 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 I, I and I understand. But if that's part of your argument that like the argue the idea is to win the game and once you have the game won, get the guy out, which is what some people think because they're so afraid of injury. There you can win you can win six games on the schedule with your backup quarterback. So it is. I, I guess we're all in the middle. There's the balance of experience versus 
health, but I I generally fall on the side of like I don't like the idea of playing scared and like you've got to let the guy get some snaps and so I wouldn't have a problem with him starting the fourth quarter and if you want to give him the first two series of the fourth quarter like I'm good because I think like every minute he's learning something and you know what like those are crickets right is it is it yes. crickets. It's not just the buzz not, of the heat. I'm not it? familiar with Greater Columbus Wildlife yet, so yeah, it's I don't want to. There, there is a spot uh, near my house where there, there's a park that's called Tower Park because there are like electricity, electricity towers mm-hmm. there, and there are like softball fields under it. And when you walk under the towers, you can hear the like the power line sizzling, and there's like a bike path under it. And it's like I am never riding my bike on that bike path <laughs> because. Like, the electricity is, like, burning the air. It's like it may as well be called, like, Carcinogen Park. I mean, it's just, like, it's insane to me that you can hear that. So I just want to make sure that was not that. That's nature. That's not. There's no, like, well, I mean, there is not really any power lines around here for that to be the case. Yeah, that has to be coming from the grove of trees around here. Okay, so we all agree that Justin Fields should play the entire fourth quarter. For, all right, for the, moving on. No, see, this is how this podcast goes. <laughs> I'm just trying to indoctrinate Nathan into how things really work around here. I'm getting the idea. Um, I think it's an interesting conversation. And it's like, like, are you? I'm curious, right? I'm curious to see how Ryan Day manages that because sort of the lack of a backup quarterback complicates it. And, and it makes Ryan Day is going to have to strike that balance. And I'm, see, I'm curious to see, like, which side he sort of falls on in those first four games. This, I can – so I was going to give you, here's a bad analogy, because as people may know, I just came from covering Purdue sports for the last several years. And Purdue had a situation the last two years, as, as people may know, where they had two quarterbacks, essentially. Neither one of them had really separated, and when one of them had a chance to separate, they didn't. And so both of those guys were playing in games early in the seasons, both the last two seasons. And as it turned out, in both of those cases, Purdue needed the other one because of injury. The other one kind of became the full-time guy. That's not going to be the situation really at Ohio State this year. You don't have two guys on equal footing. You've got one guy who is the starting quarterback. You've got two other guys who they don't know who the backup is yet, which I think was further evidence yesterday that that whole thing was a charade, and they knew who clearly who the best quarterback on this team was. And there's a big gap here between one and, well, I guess you could even say three right now. There really isn't a two. So I think that also plays into this. You you can't. Um, you do need to get him experience, but the protection does become, I know you don't want to play scared, but protection does become an issue. You've got to have him, you need him more for week two against Cincinnati, week three against Indiana, than you need him for even that first series of the fourth quarter under the scenario you're talking about. For the sake of an argument, the style matter. This is a, like, this is a dual threat guy who, like, he's going to run the ball. Like, with a pocket passer, you're not going to be worried about him taking off at any time and possibly taking a hit. So maybe that plays a role into it. Because you say, you know, the, the example you used was Braxton Miller. Well, that's another dual threat quarterback who's more likely to take a hit than, let's say, Dwayne Haskins was last year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's complicating. I also sometimes am in the, the, the camp of, like, the pocket is more dangerous than being outside the pocket. You know, that, like, you... If you, but not when you're up 42 to 10 in the fourth quarter no, and you're handing true, the ball I, off. Well, if you're handing it right. Yeah. I mean, generally, it's like, I mean, you know, if, if your right tackle misses a block or your left tackle misses right. a block, you can be in a lot more danger than you are when you're out in the open field. So, um, you know, there's there's no right answer, but I just uh, – the thing that I mostly get frustrated with is the people who just want – who would get upset. And it's been an ongoing thing. Going back to Troy Smith, when I started covering this team in 2005, you know, people were always upset about him being in late in games. And coaches – in my tenure here, have seemed to lean toward let guys play. Um, and again, not that anyone's trying to get Justin Fields the Heisman Trophy in week one or week three, but you know what? There's just there's just a lot that goes into it, and I think there are style points with the committee 
that you hope they watch every game and they hope they have an understanding of like the full game control and all that kind of stuff. But the one thing that has that is absolutely true that is coaches uh, Luke Fickle was famous for this at Ohio State. Of he famously had a quote one time like when they kind of didn't play well but they won. He said, "Did we win? Did we win?" It's like, yeah, you won, but you didn't look very good. And and in the playoff era, when you're competing for one of those four spots, it is absolutely not just win. Because wins don't get you in. How you win, who you beat, how good you look in the course of the game, that doesn't mean that if you pull somebody out in the fourth quarter and they come back, that should be held against you. But every little – it's not even style points anymore. It's just your resume. It's just how the committee looks at you, and you only have 12 or 13 games to make an impression, and you start making that impression in week one. Well, that's a fair point, but I would also I would say, A, if you're just playing for – margin of victory in week one and something happens it costs you a chance of winning the game at all in the games that will be against the opponents that'll flip that you know narrative about your season then you're going to really look back on that with a lot of grit number two thing is the other thing we've forgotten here is it's not just about pulling justin fields it's the whole offense really comes off the field you're not going to put a you know you're not going to leave justin fields in but pull all of your starting offensive linemen out it's asking for disaster. It's the whole offense is coming out at that point because again, and it goes back to you need those guys more for the next week than you do for the next series. Stephen, I'll ask this one of you specifically. As we're in this vein, would you rather have Hoke or Chugs at, at, as the backup quarterback? That's from the five one three area code. I'll take Hoke. Just off the things I've seen, I, I think I think Hoke's the better quarterback between the two. So I'll take I'll take Hoke. The, the thing I don't know is um, I don't have a handle yet on like who who has more upside, like if there's or how much more upside there is out there for either of them. Um, as you said, Stephen, they've all these guys have been around enough that uh, you know, and this is not a criticism. It's like I think they probably are who they are. They got to learn the system and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. But I don't know that anyone's going to make a jump in terms of ability at this point in their career. Um, we don't get to watch practice like you know gunner hope throws some picks on the highlights you know like i don't yeah. i don't like i mean like what does that mean it's like well they're never going to put a justin fields pick on the highlight so it's like when when josh proctor makes a pick and the quarterback's release is not in the highlight you know you it was justin it fields <laughs> when when sean wade makes a pick and you can see the ball coming off gunner hoax hands you know it's like okay they don't care about putting and that's you know they don't want to make justin fields look bad because we knew he was going to be the guy I don't know if I have a handle on it yet, and it's weird because it's like you almost forget that Chug was at West Virginia. Because it's weird that, like, Hoke came from Kentucky, and he was like a savior because of the position they were in. Chug came from West Virginia last year when they had Dwayne Haskins, Tate Martell, and Matthew Baldwin, and everybody was like, who's this guy? You know, and it was like, well, why? They don't need a quarterback. It's like the fifth quarterback. They're fine. And now it's like, oh, Chug is like the backup in the spring. So I think it's possible that we have a view of Hoke and Chug. And I'm not sure. Is it is it Chug or Chugs? Chugs. It is. A, they, I he think prefers it's Chugs. Chugs I don't his think name he, is Chugginoff. Yeah. So I think I think it's Chugs. It's just because like Chug is just like. Yeah. I mean, he is a singular. But Chug but, doesn't seem like a nickname. It seems, it's a verb. Like it's like Hugs. It's like Bob Huggins is yeah. Hugs. Coming from West Virginia. But he's also Huggins. There's an S in his name. He's not chugging uh, off. So if it was chugging off, you would see it. Yes, I would. So you I don't would think pluralize. Bob Huggins is shortened to hugs? It's they're just removing the I and the N. Chug sounds yes. like a better nickname than a verb. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Unless, I agree. You know, um, unless he's living a lifestyle we just don't know about. I feel like this is a question I should have asked already of the person. I'm sorry, Chug or Chugs, for calling you by the wrong name. All right, it's Chugs. I think it's possible we're underestimating Chugs based on circumstance of how they arrived. Um, and by the way, it's funny, and I, and I may do this, or maybe one of us can do this. Like, and maybe I mean, other people have already done it. The quarterback transfer chart. Do you know who the starting quarterback at West Virginia is now? He was just named today. The starting quarterback at West Virginia is the former Oklahoma backup quarterback who said the thing in 2016 that Baker Mayfield was going to like light up the Ohio State defense as like he was like a nobody backup quarterback and Ohio State went nuts. It was all anybody talked about this week that the Oklahoma backup quarterback was talking crap and then Ohio State went to Norman and like destroyed them when Ohio State was literally the youngest team in the country. And so the, the the Baker Mayfield flag plant, which actually, which he also has unapologized for, by the way, <laughs> the, Blaker, the Baker Mayfield flag plant started with the Austin Kendall trash talk because it was the Austin Kendall trash talk that fired up Ohio State to blow out Oklahoma in Oklahoma, which then fired up Baker Mayfield to blow out Ohio State in Ohio Stadium the next year. And that guy is now the starting quarterback at West Virginia. He won the job there. So, like, add it to your list of transfer quarterbacks winning jobs. Um, Josh Proctor question, and I think this is uh, interesting because we continue to try to figure out how guys are going to get on the field. Let me. This is not a question, but let me preface this. I missed a chunk of interviews today because my daughter had a uh, middle school cross-country meet, uh, 12th place finish, uh, which is, for a Le Maurice, is is remarkably fast. Um, it's like a four-minute mile. The yeah, kind of four-minute mile. Oh, God. <laughs> the the the. I set it at six when I used to run. I set the treadmill at six, which is like a ten-minute mile. That's pretty good. Yeah. But I can't always keep up at six. I need a break. Right. I can't run a six for a whole mile. I'm not a, the bionic man. Right. The 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 bullet that we have talked about so much. Um, we met with the secondary and the receivers today, but the bullets came out with the secondary guys. But from what I heard people talking about, all the bullets said, we're linebackers. basically linebackers, yeah. right? Steven, explain what how they explained this. Yeah, so we the question was literally asked to Brandon White, are you more of a safety or are you more of a linebacker? He said, well, I'm more of a linebacker. I'm guarding tight ends. My first you know, thought is stopping the run, basically doing what a, a Sam linebacker does. I asked Michigan's Kalik Huston this question, and he didn't necessarily say it went either way. It was literally a dead center in the middle. It depends on what the offense is. Now, Ohio State depend Ohio State is going to be depending on the offense if he's on the field or not. But this is basically a linebacker with the name linebacker scratched out and bullet put in bold. But it's basically a Sam linebacker. It's basically a safety body with linebacker responsibility because they are taking their old strong safeties and having them play this position. But then when they drill the couple times that we've been able to watch, and I guess they, they must've done some, some backpedal secondary stuff too. But when we want mostly that I've seen the bullets are working out with the linebackers, they're shedding blocks. They're doing things where they're engaging guys. They're up towards the line of scrimmage. And of course, like, of course they have coverage responsibilities, but so do linebackers. Yeah, yeah, they go tight ends. Yeah, so like the, the the way that 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 the way that I've been thinking about it, and Stephen, tell me if this is right or wrong in your opinion. And again, we probably had this conversation already. Is 
if the guy in the slot is a receiver, then Sean Wade's in the game as the third corner, and he's covering him. If the guy in the slot, or if there's not a guy in the slot, because maybe they're playing two tight ends, but if the guy in the slot is a tight end, or if there's not a guy in the slot, but you have to cover tight end, then the guy in the game is a bullet. Yeah, that's from the indication I've been given by both a Michigan guy who plays the Viper, which is literally what this is, and a bullet guy, that's what this is. If it's a if it's a tight end, they're going to put a bullet in the game because he's big enough, but he's also still fast enough to guard. And if it's an actual receiver, you're going to put a cornerback on the field because you're going to put a cornerback on the field to guard a wide receiver. I think there's going to do – I mean, everybody does this, but there's, I just think there's going to be a lot of personnel matching. We're going to see defensive guys running on and off the field mm-hmm. um, based on, okay, look, they're going to two tight ends. Look, they have four wide receivers. They're, they're never going to – they're try, going to try to never get caught in a spot where – you know, Pete Werner, and this happened times and times in the past, where, you know, Pete Werner, as a, as a Sam linebacker, is trying to cover a slot receiver. Mm-hmm. Or uh, where you're asking a safety to sort of step up and crawl up towards the line of scrimmage and cover a guy who's just a pure receiver. That's what Sean Wade is, is there for. They've gone to that in recent years, but I think they're going to then try to make sure they don't get trapped in situations where teams bring in a tight end and try to run from a spread situation and maybe take advantage of some of those smaller corners. So I think it's just going to be mix and match. Which is going to lead me now to this question um, that is actually the question. It was about Josh Proctor. Where's the Josh Proctor question? It's a question about Josh Proctor. The Josh Proctor love from the coaching staff is great, but how often is he going to play? The bullet position and Jordan Fuller's cemented role as the single high safety would, in my mind, mean that the team is leaning on the Urban Meyer play the known quantity kind of style. Am I nuts, or is this just a new coach trying to find a way to make his own identity while taking over the juggernaut that is Ohio State football? That's from our guy Pete Capo. The, the basic question is, so listen, Jordan Fuller deserves to play. He should play. He's the number one safety. If there's only one true safety on the field, it has to be Jordan Fuller, and it's going to be Jordan Fuller. The question is, we talked to Isaiah Pryor today. When you have Isaiah Pryor and Josh Proctor seemingly playing safety, but it seems like a second safety may not be on the field that much. I don't know where Josh Proctor's snaps come from, even though they have said lots of nice things about Josh Proctor. And again, if the greatest problem your team has is we have too many players and not enough slots to play them, that's a great problem to have. But I almost feel bad for some of the young safeties here because like, they're not turning Josh Proctor and Isaiah Pryor into bullets. I think they're having them be like the next Jordan Fuller, except Jordan Fuller's not coming off the field. So, like, right now, I, when I asked Jordan Fuller about it, he said they have played some deep, some two deep safeties. So when they go to a second deep safety, I think it will be Pryor or Proctor. I just don't know how often that will be. I think it will be some. I think it will be more depending on the opponent. But I think it will be far less than they have done in years past when they their their normal alignment was had two safeties on the field almost all the time. Now part of the issue is too is Brendan White took that safety spot last year. So it's like Brendan White took Isaiah Pryor's job in the middle of last season and Brendan White played ahead of Josh Proctor last year. So like Brendan White is not the guy getting like who like lost the position. They moved him so he can still start even though his position name has changed. But I just think going forward it's gonna be more difficult for true safeties to get on the field because there's there's really only going to be one of them who's viewed as a starter. Yeah, I, it's something I wouldn't get too tied up in whether a really talented guy is getting enough snaps because that's kind of what's supposed to happen at Ohio State. 
least from coming from the outside in. That's kind of the way I see it. Like this is one of those programs that's going to have just an abundance of, of talent on any given Sunday or Saturday, I should say, compared to a lot of the teams it's playing, compared to even some of the other better teams in the Big Ten. And uh, it, it's a good problem to have, as you're saying. Like, you know, if, if there's there's too many really good guys to fit in the scheme. But, like, as you as you also alluded to, and as I think you're going to be writing more about, they're going to be doing a lot of things this year to kind of match, mix those looks up and and confuse defenses or frustrate or offenses or frustrate offenses and, and, and give people a lot of things to worry about. And the more guys you have, the more easily you can do that. It sounds like the reason why they need to simplify because if the per- – if- the, whatever your base defense for a game is, is depending on whether you're playing Indiana or you're playing at Penn State. You don't need – if the coaches are going to be thinking this much, you don't need the players to be thinking this much as well. That is ex- that is a great point because it's a point that Ryan Day has made to me, and, and I think he wants it to apply throughout the program, is complicated for the coaches, simple for the players. NFL concepts for the coaches – not dumbed down, but made simple, made clear for guys who are supposedly only spending 20 hours a week on this stuff instead of millionaires who are spending their whole life on it, um, which I think is a is a very smart explanation of because there's been a general vibe with some of the questions that we've gotten over the past several months once Ryan Day was hired. Um, how do you bring that NFL thinking to the college game? Because part of what everybody thought the problem was last year and what I thought part of the problem was is that Greg Schiano and Bill Davis on the defensive side of the ball treated these guys too much like NFL players. And they said, here, here's a million different things. And they were like, I'm 19. What do I do? And then, like, Rondell Moore ran past them. So so I think that is a just a, such a smart explanation of, like, we'll, we, we understand all that. Me, Ryan Day, me, Jeff Halfley, I get all that. But you don't – and Ryan Day even said – I don't even want to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. know how sometimes coaches talk about guys want to know the why. Ryan Day's like, I got the why. Maybe if you're a fifth-year senior and it's your third year starting, we can talk why. For now, no why. Just go there. So basically a because I said so mentality. Which, which I think can be like reassuring. Like when that guy does this, you do this. I know why. You don't worry about why. And, and you hear the opposite so much that I thought it was a very interesting way of explaining it. Well, and I think that works with the right coaching staff, and I think it could work with this staff because I think, you know, just from talking to some of these players over the first two days here, um, they have a lot of respect for the guys who are their position coaches because a lot of these guys have spent a lot of time in the NFL or they've spent a ton of time at the college level and had a tremendous amount of success at the college level. And when those are the guys telling you, when those guys who have a pedigree and who have helped coach national champions and and have, have done big things in the NFL, when those guys tell you, I think this is the way it's supposed to be done, go do this, I think those guys accept it easier than if it's just a common coach who, who they don't necessarily have that uh, same amount of respect for even even if you stunk in the NFL because like no like Ryan Day didn't stink but like he didn't win any like he doesn't have a ring to show yeah it's but like, Brian Harline really, didn't stink I no mean, no no I mean well, no Brian Harline yeah, he played like Ryan Day is like hey check out my uh, my four and twelve ring with the 49ers <laughs> when Chip got fired um, I wasn't even necessarily talking about Ryan Day but I was talking about you know the rest of the staff I mean yeah. it's more the position coaches that I think have that kind of um uh, Respect from from the players that I've and again I've only been here two days, but that's the vibe I'm getting. When, when you know it's one of those things we've talked about this. When you know when Jeff Halfley comes in and like Richard Sherman is vouching for Jeff exactly. Halfley, it's like that's oh, one of the yeah. ways I'm thinking of. Yeah, he's famous. 
I like him. Uh, pod question from the 917. And my boss who is listening, my big boss, my big, big boss who uh, once sent me a microphone has been very supportive of Buckeye Talk, um, has been very supportive of me being a cranky, whiny complainer in every meeting we ever have. Uh, he's been, he's very interested in this podcast being as good as it can possibly be. And one of the suggestions, and I'm going to work on this, is that so when I get your questions on text, I can say what your name is. So we'll figure out. I got to, I got to, I'm going to start. If you're a tech subscriber, I'm going to start asking you for your name so I can put it in the system so I don't have to just say from the 917. And also, hey to my boss. Uh, he's all of our bosses. He's a swell fella. Um, Ohio State has three very talented tight ends. We know they have Rashad Berry, Luke Farrell, and Jeremy Ruckert. Kevin Wilson is a master at tight end utilization as an offensive schemer. The tight end was a non-event in the Urban Meyer offense. Do you expect we will see greater use and targeting of the tight ends, especially as Justin Fields looks to throw shorter, quicker, higher percentage passes? Part of my answer is Kevin Wilson's been here for three years. We haven't seen it yet because that was every question, every question that got asked in 2016 when Kevin Wilson arrived. 16? Yeah, because they moved guys around. Was that? All we talked about was tight end utilization, and we came to like an open practice in the spring, and they threw, I think they threw passes to the tight ends while the media was there just because they knew everybody (laughs) was talking about it. And I was like, look at those gorgeous tight end throws. It's going to be, it's finally going to, that didn't happen. So, I don't know. I think part of how you think the tight ends might be used is related to how you think the H-backs are going to be used. Because as we've said several times over the years, tight end usually means middle of the field. Tight end is not necessarily about the position. It's about the type of throw that you want in the offense. And when you have Paris Campbell and KJ Hill and Curtis Samuel working at H-back and working in the middle of the field, and it's like, why don't we throw to the 6'6 guy who's really slow? And it's like, because you threw to Curtis Samuel and he ran 50 yards. KJ Hill, I think, is going to have a big year. Steven's been on that from the beginning. I mean, he's going to be Ohio State's all-time leading receiver by the time this season is done. I don't know who the backup H is going to be. I wonder if the, the clearly their H-back rotation between Hill and then either C.J. Saunders and Jalen Gill is not going to be as dynamic as the rotation that was last year of K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell. It can't be. Does that maybe open the door for a little more tight end usage because if you're trying to work the middle of the field, trying to work an eight yard out, trying to work somebody on a linebacker on third and six, you know, last year it was always KJ, always KJ Hill. Does maybe it mean that there's a, a higher percentage chance for it to be Jeremy Ruckert, Rashad Berry, or Luke Farrell this year? There's a part of me that wants to say yes, and here's why. It's going to take some compromise from both Kevin Wilson and Brian Hartline for this to happen, though. Obviously, Kevin Wilson has been trying to get more tight ends on the field for three years now, and here we are again, and we're, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but maybe it does. Brian Hartline wants a six-man rotation. like He said that today as well. So you've got K.J. Hill, you've got Austin Mack, you've got Ben Victor, you've got Chris Olave, there's four who are going to obviously be in the rotation at their respective positions. We all think Garrett Wilson is going to get on the field this year. What he showed in the spring game and what we've seen before that, we think he's going to be on the field. There's five guys right there. Of those five, K.J. Hill is the only one that's an H, which means there's the opening right there for it. Is Jalen Gill good enough to 
you know, rotate consistently with KJ Hill when you want KJ Hill on the field as much as possible, or is the option instead, which you've already said, do you just go with a tight end? And I think it comes out is the second H that impressive for you to stick to that rotation of rotating your X, Y, and your I'm sorry, your X, your Z, and your H, or do you go with the tight end? The other thing that can be a factor here, too, is how this offensive line holds up and how much you need a tight end on the field to help with pass protection or, or give that look of, of extra pass protection, too. But um, I, I'm not, I haven't obviously been able to, to watch the team enough to see, to have a really informed opinion on this as far as which guy would, would overtake. But um, I also think some of this can come down to, to Justin Fields, too, and just how, how he reads the field and, and how comfortable he is using tight ends. Because we've definitely seen, you know, throughout time that there's, there are sometimes quarterbacks who utilize the tight end more than other quarterbacks do. From the 614, it feels like there was a lot of hype, mostly from coaches and other players, around Tommy Togiai last season. He was obviously one of the freshmen to play enough not to redshirt, but it seems like we're not hearing much about him this preseason. What's up with that, and where is he on the depth chart? Actually, we've, we've talked a lot about the fact that they seem six deep at defensive tackle. Tommy Togiai is clearly one of the three nose guards that's going to play. Steven, you wrote a story about him being the strongest player on the team. What is your sense of how you think Togi I is going to fit in that nose guard where it seems like Devon Hamilton's going to start, B.B. Landers is another veteran in there, but I, my inclination would be that the most talented guy of the three nose guards, the guy with the greatest chance to make a real impact, to me, might be Tommy Togi I. It might be. I mean, yeah, strongest. Like, his bench press would have been like the second best time at the entire NFL combine this year. Not time, I'm sorry, reps. So that puts in perspective how strong he is. How many was it? Do you remember how many was it? Not off the top of my head. I gotta look. Go read the story and it's in the story. That's a good tease. That's a good tease. <laughs> yeah, go read the story. It's called How Strong is Tommy Tokyo? Literally. Larry Johnson, like, he went six in the, on the inside, three at nose guard. I think Devon Hamilton's going to start to start the year off, but I don't know if it's going to stick that way the entire year. But he really likes Tommy Togiai. A lot of the defensive linemen in general really like Tommy Togiai. I mean, Chase Young's been hyping up the entire defensive line, so we don't really know who's actually been good or not when you talk to him. But I, that's a big guy. Well, he's not a big guy, but he's a strong guy, and I think he's the most talented out of the bunch. But all of them are going to play this year according to Larry Johnson. Yeah, and I think that's a spot. I think that's one of the spots where you can actually go three deep. I'm always very skeptical of the rotation sometimes. I'm always – I mean, like, I'm skeptical at the moment when Ryan Day is talking about rotating guys in the offensive line. That doesn't feel like it makes sense to me. The only way it makes sense and is if Brandon Bowen wins the starting right tackle spot and Nicholas Petit-Frere as a true sophomore who's a top-10 national recruit. Like, you want to keep him in the mix and you want to get him experience You're really because you, you think he's going to – He's going to still be a, a starter here eventually. What'd you say? You're really sold on the Nick Petit Fair thing. No, I'm, I mean, if, if he's a top 10 national like recruit who seems like he's got the body that you want for a tackle, and the big thing is they've been trying to get him bigger, um, I think I think it can be hard. I mean, because Baron Browning actually played a decent amount last year at linebacker as a top 10 national recruit, but he wasn't a starter. And I was like, what's his role? And now here it is. Like, when you're that highly rated, and I know they throw the stars away, but, like, you really don't. You know, like, you don't throw the stars away because Darren Lee's in the NFL, and he still has a chip on his shoulder about three being a three-star recruit. He didn't throw the stars away. He, like, overcame it, but he didn't throw it away. And I think if you're a five-star, you don't throw it away. You, you should carry it as, like, I know I'm good. But I think sometimes you can carry it as, like, I know I'm good. Why isn't it happening? 
And so I think like I'm frustrated when I hear anything that doesn't indicate that Baron Browning's going to have like a, a really meaningful role on the defense. And so like if Nicholas Petit Frere like doesn't really play that much this year, I'm going for next year I'm going to be like, man, this guy's a junior. He's like the number seven recruit in the country, and like he's barely played. Like what is up? So that's not to take anything away from Brandon Bowen, but I just thought for sure Petit Frere would win that job because to me if it was close, it's like go with the young guy. Because there's upside there. Uh, and Brandon Bowen could be like a really, 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 really good sixth lineman. But like it doesn't sound like it's gone that way. So I can't even remember what the question was. My screen went blank. What was the question? Tommy Togiai. Tommy Togiai. So Tommy Togiai, I think, like, is a guy who, who it makes sense for him to get snaps. And, you know, and the thing is we said before, Hamilton is Hamilton, Landers is Landers, right? And they're good. But Togiai is not who he could be yet. So I'm very interested in giving him a chance to be more than he's shown so far. So this kind of goes to the same thing, because I feel like the argument you were getting at is the talented five-star young guy versus the guy with a little bit of experience. Yeah, which is, and like, do you, I like to lean young guy. Where would you lean? Depends on the position. I, it depends on the position. I think in a world where the whole point of this is you're here three years and you're going to the NFL and you're at a school like Ohio State, if you're here for your fifth year, there's a reason why you're still on this roster. And I'm you're probably not good enough to be gone here. Like for, for the most part, three years, maybe four years, and you're out. If you're here for a fifth year, there's a, you're probably not good enough so that you should probably start looking to the next guy. Do you have a philosophical young guy, old guy? There's a very big young guy, old guy thing among the fan base of, of loyalty versus potential, um, like – Consistency versus upside. Where do you generally stand? I mean, uh, fans are loyal in a vacuum. They're not loyal to playing a lesser guy just for the sake of playing a lesser guy. They're they're just not. They talk about that, but then when they finally put the sophomore in and he blows the doors off of the fifth year senior, all of a sudden it's not. Um, why were you being so? You know, it, it becomes a criticism. It's a, why were you being so loyal? Why well, weren't you giving this guy a shot earlier? No, that's so, th- just so you know. Like the fan thing here is mostly. Why were you playing that guy for so long? They are not loyal. Right, they are not right. loyal to okay. the old guys. They I'm just talking about fans in general. They Obviously, I don't, I don't want, know how State fans They want yet, every but. new recruit. Like, if they could have Jack Miller be the quarterback right now, well, not Jack, but if, like, if Julian Fleming could, could be start for Ohio State right now, they would be like, get Ben Victor and Austin Mack out of here. This is the perfect year for this, like the young guy, old guy, because there's so many positions where there's an old guy, young guy thing. Why receiver literally has that right now with the old guy, young guy thing, obviously on the line. Linebackers. Uh, linebackers as well, where it's an old. I think the only position where the old guy is is clearly better is the running back position. Yeah, and that's yeah, you're right, and that's because they don't have a five star behind him. Yeah, so they, like the, the guys behind him are three stars. And that, he started out as the young guy, so yeah. But but at a, but but when J.K. Dobbins was a freshman and Mike Weber was coming off a thousand yard season, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, play J.K. Dobbins." Yeah, it was like they was he was the young guy they wanted to play. Um, Philosophically, uh, coaches should play the guys who win game, who help them keep their jobs. But if it's if it is all things being equal and it's fifty, you know, it's an even dead even heat on on a position battle. You you got to skew young. I mean, the other guy had his chance to be better at this point. He's not. You go young because that's where you can you're, you're reaching for a ceiling there that you're not with the older guy. I don't know. This is this is a little bit funny to me, and I'm not. It's just people do this, and I get it. It was from the four one nine, and you're new. Uh, this guy had a bunch of questions for you, but he called you Nick the whole I way through. Uh-huh. For the podcast, I know Nick is new, and it's Nathan, but that's okay. But does he understand? Nick is brand new. Nick is so new yeah. that he hasn't got <laughs> he here yet. Yeah. 
Nick is yeah. Nick is sleeping under your air mattress. <laughs> what is in your apartment right now? The things in your apartment right now are um, about uh, half of my wardrobe, an air mattress, um, a really bad computer that I was using until mine that I've been given now by Cleveland.com started working. Um, let's see, a loaf of bread, some tortillas, some cheese, some water. Uh, nothing because my stove doesn't work yet. So it was, um, some oatmeal and uh, like one skillet and one pot and some paper towel and toilet papers and uh, you know toiletries and stuff like so that. So no TV yet. Uh, there is a TV, but I don't have cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's actually just kind of laying on the floor of my apartment, yeah. flat, because I had to transport it in the trunk uh, Sunday night. When you first said it, when we were walking up, you said, I have an air mattress and tortillas. And I just was just imagining you sitting in the middle of a room with an air mattress. And just, just eating a raw tortilla. The saddest tortilla eater you've ever seen. You know what? Somewhere, I'm not going to laugh, just somewhere on a college campus, there's somebody having dinner that, that very closely like resembles that tonight. So I'm not going to talk down at those people. College isn't as fun as I thought it would be. <laughs> Mom, I need money. Hang in there. Uh, okay, so do you want, uh, does Nick understand that Doug's predicted 9-3 and three Buckeye win-loss record will send a large share of Ohio State Nation to the edge of the abyss, if not falling into it? Do you have an understanding of what 9-3, and th- what do you believe 9-3, and three, how that would be received in Ryan Day's first year? Oh, yeah, I have, I, I understand that it would be like, you know, borderline catastrophe, but part of that is only because I don't, it's 9-3, and three, even if a really good college football team slips to nine and three, that's not as much of an anomaly as what's happened at Ohio State here under Urban Meyer, where you lose like maybe one game a year. Like that's to do it for this sustained period that that's happened here. Um, you should be proud of your team. The, you know, those of you who are Ohio State fans, you should be, you know, which is, glad which that is you, everyone listening. I assume yeah, so. Yeah, and then yeah. you should be, gl- well, yeah, you have a following that I'm sure no, transcends. No, People no. love you, Doug. No, they don't. They I'm bringing over they, a whole new they audience. They love to hate so. you. Either way, they like to listen to you. I'm bringing a whole new air mattress and tortilla audience yeah. into this. So, um, you, you, they should be happy about that. But I think they should. There should be some understanding that you just experienced a even for a pro, program as storied as Ohio State. That was kind of a crazy run that has been going on here. Obviously, you want to extend it, but you know, to to lose three games with a schedule like what Ohio State is going to face this year. I mean, what if it's three losses by one point each? I mean, that, that's going to seem like a big lost opportunity, but it's also going to mean that you were in every single game against a, a challenge, a, a program or a schedule that I agree with you is, is a little, um, sneaky tough. Do you have a predicted record two days into your job? On the I beat? I'm not that crazy. No, more I'm time gonna, than that. I think we're going to wait like until at least tomorrow before we're, I, I mean, we'll definitely, we, we have a meeting tomorrow with our boss. We have that's stuff, be on there, lots yeah. of stuff to map out. So I'm sure we'll come up with a way to uh, get you guys predictions about this team this year. Um, and then they specifically asked, this is kind of an odd comparison, but do, what do you like? Do you like, what do you like better, pizza or a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich? And see, he asked that before he or she asked that before we even had this discussion earlier. Um, that's, that's a tough question because you're talking about very specific, the Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. If I've already declared as the QB1 of all fast food Sandwiches, not just chicken sandwiches, but really all fast food sandwiches. But pizza is there's a billion pizzas out there, um, so it's tough to do without a specific comparison. I'm probably going pizza because I can be so versatile with it. 
Um, I think if you ate even a sandwich as elite as the Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich every day, you would tire of it over time. And in pizza, you can have a new kind of pizza every day. I, I don't I th- I can't remember. I'm so trapped in a vortex of sending texts and doing two podcasts and just like talking to my wife. I've said this before. I cannot remember what I said to who. So if I already said this on this podcast, I apologize. But as a public service message, Wendy's used to have a spicy chicken salad and they took it off the menu and they now have a Parmesan chicken salad, which is the same salad as the spicy chicken salad. And you can sub out the grilled chicken for the spicy chicken oh, breast that's a game changer. and bring the spicy chicken salad back to life because those buns are a lot of carbs. Yeah. Right. That's I mean, I'm de- I'm not saying the sandwich is a bad thing. I'm saying if you love the spicy chicken breast, you can mix it in with the salad every now and then. I'm very carb conscious. Nah, no, I'm not. I should be. <laughs> so but I do enjoy a nice chicken breast on a salad. And that that spicy chicken in particular works really well. I don't know if Popeye's has that option. Does Popeye's have a salad? I've been to Popeye's. I have not seen a lot of greenery. <laughs> I don't think they have a salad. I don't know if I would ever want a salad from a fried chicken place either. So, like, um, if they don't, I'm good. sure there's like greens or green beans or something. Yeah, well, uh, they have like, like fried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, like, yeah, it's not healthy green foods. Oh, really? Yeah. I always wish, like, I wish Canes would just have a big salad. thirty-pound bag of lettuce in the back that they would rip open dump in the container and throw the chicken fingers on that because i don't always want fries and toast mm. it's a very basic meal i mean it's i so good i i always want fries and toast but as a 45 year old man i shouldn't always have fries and toast exactly. so if you can off. give me the same chicken but on something green that helps me all right you know what uh my computer's running out a little bit of juice i don't want to lose the first half of the podcast so we're going to take a break but because we haven't switched to the other podcast platform yet, there's not going to be an ad in here. But prepare for the day, hopefully the next couple months, where when I say, we'll be right back on Buckeye Talk, you'll hear this. The new Popeye's chicken sandwich doesn't come on salad, but it tastes like a dream. Only from Popeye's chicken, just like that. Heaven in your mouth. Celebrity endorsement. Spicy heaven in your mouth, says Stephen Means. We'll be back. Back on Buckeye Talk, we have shifted. My uh, The bottom half of my body was asleep. We're no longer in the bleachers. We're now in. Don't tell anybody. Don't go telling Ryan Day. We're inside the practice field at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. And as Stephen noted, the music in here never stops. 4 to 6 A to B. Um, this is longer than 4 to 6 seconds. But, you know, ridiculous. We're in the club. Uh, all right, next question. I think this is a good one, and I, and maybe we'll work some of this stuff out. I always want to do over-unders before season, and I'm like, we never get to it. But this is a good one. Uh, from Brett in the 602 area code, will Justin Fields have more rushing touchdowns or passing touchdowns this year, and why? He says, my sense is rushing. His guess is 17 rushing, 16 passing. This is the part where I start to look up stats, and you guys talk amongst yourselves. So you, so you want us to answer this with like <coughs> no no, no uh, point of reference again? So this is the this is how <laughs> you're, I'm glad you're getting the feel for this. You guys just make some stuff up, and then I come in off the top rope at the end with a bunch of facts and sound smart. 
My my so, sense is that that many touchdowns rushing sounds like a lot for a uh, even a dual threat quarterback, especially one with a um, a running back as potentially talented as Ohio State has, and with as many passing weapons as Ohio State potentially has. So I would still probably lean toward having more passing touchdowns. However, it obviously is going to be a very different uh, stat line than what Dwayne Haskins put up last year. He had four and four last year. I'll say this. I think he'll have more passing touchdowns just because of how the offense is run. I think his rushing touchdowns will be a lot of big play type of touchdowns. So like 15 to 20 yard runs where he like, you know, obviously some will be read option, but a lot of them will be like, you know, he wouldn't made a play because there was nothing downfield and the pocket was collapsing. So I was going to say that if Justin Fields has like 16 passing touchdowns, I, I think they're in trouble. Um, I, I don't that, think, that too. Yeah. I don't think that in a Ryan day offense is the plan. Um, let me, let me give you some points of reference here because I think this will help. Um, in 2012, in Urban Meyer's first year, when Urban Meyer has said that the offense was Braxton left, Braxton right, Braxton, please help us. Uh, Braxton Miller had 15 touchdown passes and 13 rushing touchdowns. So even okay. that year, Braxton Miller had more passing touchdowns than rushing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Overall, Kenny Guyton had two. So overall, that in, in 2012, they had 17 passing touchdowns and Braxton Miller had 13 rushing. In 2013, Braxton Miller uh, and Kenny Guyton played a lot that year because year Braxton Miller missed two whole games due to injury. So Braxton had 24 that year, passing touchdowns, but Kenny had 14. So they had 38 total, and Braxton had 12 rushing, uh, and Kenny had five. So the quarterbacks had 38 passing touchdowns and 17 rushing touchdowns. And then they've really only become more of a passing team since then. That was, I mean, when Braxton Miller's your quarterback, that's about as much of a running quarterback team as you're going to get. In 2014, JT Barrett, his first year, set the Big Ten record, I think, that year. I think the record for passing touchdowns, he broke it. He He, threw 34. No, 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 no. He didn't break it. Uh, He came within four because uh, Drew Brees was at 39. Okay. Yeah, because Dwayne's the first guy to get to 40. Okay. So he had 34 his first year, and JT Barrett had 11 rushing. So it was 34 to 11 that year. Just hang in there. Stats are good sometimes. 2015 was nuts. This is a non-functional, this is a supremely talented, non-functionally coached offense in 2015. JT Barrett had 11 rushing touchdowns, and the quarterbacks combined had 19 passing touchdowns. So that's Cardale and JT in that weird quarterback split, had 19 passing touchdowns. JT, 11 rushing. Ezekiel Elliott had 23 rushing touchdowns this year. Again, that cannot be your model for what this is. This offense must be more functional than that. Um, they did not figure out a way to use Michael Thomas that year. They did not figure out a way to use Curtis Samuel that year. That was a mess. So I think the point we're making, and should we finish? We'll finish it off. JT Barrett, 2016, 24 passing, 9 rushing. 2017, JT Barrett, 35 passing, 12 rushing, and then last year, Obviously, Dwayne had 50 passing and four rushing. So and those four came in the last like four games of the year. Probably. So like I, I think it's a very good question, I, and I think Brett, even as you have heard these stats, as you listen to this right now and think, oh, they used my question, and and I'm glad we used it because it started a good discussion. Um, I think you probably knowing those stats would rethink it now. Um, 
If I had to guess right now, I might go something like 27 and 10. 27 passing, 10 rushing. That like, And I think then J.K. might have like 20 rushing touchdowns. Like, I think they're going to score. The hard thing, we're going to have to sit down, all of us, and sort of really think about what we think the statistics for this team are going to be and how we think this is really going to work. And we're going to be able to use past offenses as, as a foundation for that. But, I mean, they're, def- they're not going to put up the passing numbers they put up last year. But, like, how close are they going to get? And how are they going to spread it around? And when they get in the red zone, how are they going to score? I just think it's fascinating things to think about. But that's off the top of my head, something like 27 passing for Justin and 10 rushing. But I bet when I really, really, really think about it, I don't think I'll get – I won't be far off of that. I don't think Justin Fields is going to throw 40 touchdown passes. But I also don't think he's going to throw – I don't think he's going to throw under 20. No, and so I I was thinking if you even got into a a situation like 22 and 13, something like that, that might be about as far as I could go as far as – what would still seem like a a realistic split and one that would potentially still be a positive one for this offense. Um, Once you get any more askew than that, I think it does start to mean bad things for Ohio State. Doug, we've had the conversations of what we think the receivers are going to do as far as yardage, once they're over and under. We've had that conversation before, and it kind of gets into what we're talking about here with, like, because Fields is the guy throwing those guys the ball. So it can't – I don't – think he'll get to like 15 I think he'll be in the 8 to 12 range with like rushing the ball just because he's a threat he's a threat running the ball but so is J.K. Dobbins and so those read options it's not going to be we're just going to pile on the first option or we're going to pile on the second option they have to actually pick their poison with a lot of those now because of what Justin Fields is a runner which is why I say I think a lot of his touchdowns that he does get on the ground will be these big play opportunities more than it will be how it was with JT Bear, where it's a third down and we need him to lower his shoulder and go get those yards, or we're in the red zone and we need him to lower his shoulder and go get those yards. I think it'll be more of that. I think 25 to 30 touchdown passes just because you, you, Dwayne Haskins was special. We all know that, but you can't drop off from 50 touchdown passes from a quarterback to like 22 in this with, with the same guy calling the plays. I just don't see that happening. The one thing is, the, the one thing that's going to happen is, they're going to be better in the red zone this year than they were last year because they had trouble in the red zone, especially early last year. They had trouble in the Purdue game. They, they probably lost the Purdue game because they couldn't score in the red zone early. Mm. And and then not scoring those touchdowns shifted the tenor of the game and allowed Purdue to wear them down and blow them out in the fourth quarter. Um, I think they're going to be good in the red zone. I think I – think, and that's going to be predicated, I think, on just that, again, they're going to have the running quarterback. They're going to have the threat. They're going to be able to do J.K. stuff and have the threat of the zone read, even if Justin's not the guy you're leaning on, that without that threat of the running quarterback last year, like they didn't know what to do. They couldn't figure it out for a while. And they found that, you know, yes, like K.J. Hill's like really reliable um, in certain situations, but it's still harder to throw it than it is to run it. You know, if you need, if it's, if it's third and goal from the two, I mean, most of the time in the history of Ohio State, they've believed in their talent edge to just run somebody over and you saw in that Purdue game two of those passes to the end zone like Terry McLaurin and Ben Victor were like open for a second and Dwayne threw it a little bit behind him and they ran a decent route and called a decent play and they didn't complete the passes and that was it whereas if if that had been the equivalent of a run 
you know, sometimes on a run, you don't have to be perfect. The guy misses his block by a little bit, but you shed the tackle and you lean forward and you get in. And on a, on a passing play, you've kind of got to be more things have to go right. So I think they're going to be better in the red zone. But I also think as a result, the passing touchdowns might go down because they might be so good running it in the red zone. I think you're right, Stephen, to the idea of like the Justin Fields rushing touchdowns. A lot of them might be um, longer from him. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean... I, if Zeke had 24 or 23, whatever that was, if I said to you, J.K. Dobbins is going to have two rushing touchdowns a game, that's 24 in the regular season, 26 if they get to the Big Ten title game. Like, crazy. Does that sound crazy to you? No, especially no. in a world where he's getting 75% of the carries anyway. That's not crazy. No, and, it, and it's also not two per game. You get to skew it by having four or five potentially against Miami of Ohio or whatever, not to pick on them, but like, you know, those that, you know, it, it, it's, ter- it's, I think it's certainly a reasonable number for, for a team, for a running back, a, a, a kind of a bell cow running back on an offense that's this potentially dynamic. Late question that just came in at 8.16 p.m. as we record at 8.33 p.m. From the 813 area code, maybe a stupid question, and I suppose this only applies to the first game or two. How do teams prep for an opponent that's had a major change in scheme and or personnel when there is no relevant film available? For example, there's no film of Fields in Ohio State's offense, so do they look at his Georgia film um, and Ohio State's JT Barrett film? That's the the brunt of the question, Uh, and the answer is yes. The answer is that that when they, they go back and they find... They're, they'll look at some Mike Yursich film at Oklahoma State. They're going to look at Ryan Day film at Ohio State the past couple of years. They go back. Are we being locked in? I don't think we are. No, we can get out that door. Yeah, I'd sleep here. Okay. My HVAC system at my house broke, so my whole house is currently as hot as, as, hot as it is right now in here. Wow. I'm sorry. So it's Did getting fixed uh, tomorrow, but we are sweating our armpits off. So that's why you wanted to know how much furniture was in my apartment in case you needed a place, a nice cool place to sleep. Again, Nathan, I'm glad that you're catching on to this kind of thing. There is no such thing as an innocent question that I ask. <laughs> oh, it seems like Doug is interested in my life. Why would that be? Um, yeah, so they're going to look at Oklahoma State Mike Yursich to get a feel for it. They're going to look at a little bit of Georgia, Justin Fields, although Justin Fields wasn't a real quarterback at Georgia. Not that it's his fault, but the way they used him um, they will absolutely watch some Justin Fields high school film. You go and find the people because to watch to watch the uniforms when the people have changed doesn't make any sense. It doesn't do any good. So you can, you're going to know the Ohio State offense because Ryan Day has called it at Ohio State for the past two years. They might lean more on the film from the first three games last year than when Ryan Day was totally in charge. But I also think if I was in a team scouting Ohio State right now, I would not be that interested in Dwayne Haskins' film because that's not who Justin Fields is. But if you believe that Dwayne, that Justin Fields is some version of JT Barrett and JT Barrett and Ryan Day had one year together, I would look at a lot of 2017 film mixed in with Yursich, Oklahoma State, to try to figure out how we think they're going to go about attacking people to start the year. The second part of this question was like Josh Gaddis at Michigan. He's the new offensive coordinator. Again, it only applies to the first couple games because once you get one or two games of film, then you throw out all the old stuff, and you're just looking at what yeah. they're doing this year. And, and the thing that people need to remember is this isn't like maybe it is at the high school level where you just got like three or four guys, and they have to go break down their own film and their spare time or whatever. Like they've got a whole staff here, and um, 
you know, interns and, and kids that are helping break this stuff down a whole lot of levels of this before it ever even gets in the coach's hands. So, uh, yeah, they, they, th- those guys need something to do guys and girls, and, uh, they're going to have a lot of that at their disposal. They're going to go back and, and find, um, every, every minute that they can find on film of, of these guys, especially when you're playing a team like Ohio state. I think that that takes it up to a whole nother level. This is from our guy, Jock Fistick who's at Miami Buckeye on Twitter. Jock is a loyal, loyal listener and also a tech subscriber. Which scenario um, or coach-quarterback combo do you have the most confidence in? Ryan Day, Justin Fields, or Josh Gaddis, the new Michigan offensive coordinator, and Shea Patterson? Um, Josh Gaddis is bringing the spread offense to Michigan. It is Jim Harbaugh opening himself to the modern age. Uh, as people have pointed out, uh, Josh Gaddis was the Penn State receivers coach, and all this whole, this whole thing that went down with Zach Smith in Alabama, and like was that Zach Smith offered a job by Nick Saban or not? Um, the 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 job that Zach Smith interviewed for is the job that Josh Gaddis got, either ahead of Zach Smith or after they, or Zach Smith turned it down, whatever. And now, after one year at Alabama, Josh Gaddis got hired at Michigan as the offensive coordinator. So on one hand, I, it has, I, it's like people are like, Josh Gaddis is changing Michigan. And then they're like, dude, like he almost couldn't beat out Zach Smith for a job. How good can that guy be? And like, that's a good like joke for Ohio State fans to say, take a shot at Michigan. Like, I'll buy that like 10%, you know, that it's like, well, I mean, I, we were either going to hire – this guy who is going to be the smartest person in the history of Michigan football, but the guy who was almost as good as him is the guy who had like wiener catalogs <laughs> delivered to the Woody. They were like on equal footing. It was like, ah, oh, maybe this guy, ah, oh, maybe that guy. I can't decide. And then Harbaugh was like, I like the, I like the cut of that guy's jib. Come to Michigan. So again, like, ah, oh, I'm like 10% there. I'm, I don't know that I have an opinion on that because, uh, I mean, I think overall I'd probably believe in Ryan Day, Justin Fields, but like to start the year and perhaps this whole year, but certainly for the first half of the season, I just think I believe in Shea Patterson a lot more than I believe in Justin Fields just because he's done it. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's not, um, it's not a completely equal comparison because you're talking about someone in Patterson who has done this more at this level with the team that he's going to be quarterbacking again this year. I know the quarterback or know the, the coordinator has changed, but a lot of the personnel that he's working with is guys that he's been working with now for a couple of years with fields. You're only dealing with a couple of months and he's again, going to be shouldering this burden for the first time. And as much as I think his experience in the sec, even the limited experience helps him kind of come in and, and hit the ground running. Um, there is still an adjustment period here. So I would say, yeah, I agree with you early on. It's, it's Patterson long-term, um, that remains to be seen, and it may have as much to do with the way the personnel around them, you know, rise up as it does with the performance of any of those four guys. I mean, I'm going to go Ryan Day, Justin Fields. No, Justin Fields doesn't have a lot of experience, but this is a guy who was a former five-star quarterback. So there is an expectation and a certain level of just natural talent that already exists there. And you're combining that with a guy who we just saw who was the quarterback's coach for a guy who threw 50 touchdown passes in a season. I'll take that. This is a question. Uh, we've, we've dealt with this kind of question a lot, and I think it is one of the things I'm most curious about in the Ryan Day era. 
from the 813. A question for you and Ryan Day. I know you don't want to look back, but humor me for a moment. Urban Meyer had a reputation for being a master at motivation and managing the psychology of his players, the team and the game, yet he had two inexplicable blowout losses to Iowa and Purdue. And in this playoff era, you can't afford a division loss or a blowout loss, especially to a mediocre team. So how will Ryan Day keep the team focused and bringing their A game every game? I know we a- I answered a version of that question uh, on a podcast a couple weeks ago. So that idea of Ryan Day being able to live up to... I, I-, I said this earlier today, and I think Urban Meyer... It's like they're fertilizing the uh, the turf <laughs> and the indoor field. You like the natural sound? I have like a podcast studio in my basement now, but we didn't want to have to drive all the way to Westerville. It's fine. Urban Meyer was one of the best college football coaches of all time, and I think the thing he did best was motivate. So, so I think it's reasonable to have questions about not can Ryan Day motivate, but can Ryan Day motivate as well as Urban Meyer? So in that kind of question... Um, Nathan, with your experience just like dealing with coaches, how much do you think that motivation kind of stuff is a factor? And I would be curious, and we've talked about the Iowa and Purdue losses a lot on this podcast, and one of the things that I say is like, it's easy to say, well, Urban Meyer is some great motivator. How could he lose to Iowa and Purdue? And I might say, Urban Meyer is some great motivator. He only lost nine times in seven years. He only he lost so few games, we can pick out each right. individual loss and be like, dude, what happened there? And again, like, yeah, again, about, that's the anomaly is that those were happening so infrequently that just those two in the entire time he was here, or at least in, in even just these last several years, really stand out in yeah. people's minds. And uh, I know that also just the the lopsided nature of the score of those games played into that too. Let's not forget, and I'm going to answer your question, but let's not forget, and I'm not saying this to someone just because I was covering Purdue the last couple of years, because um, I'm, I'm definitely not a homer there. You know, Jeff Brom's 13-13 and 13 after two years. I think he's one of the coaches in the Big Ten that has a lot to prove this year. But I think Jeff Brom and Kirk Ferentz are both really good football coaches too. I'm not going to put them in Urban Meyer's category but they're also really good football coaches they know how to motivate a team they know how to prepare a team and uh, as i was saying you know i met uh i met uh, jerry emig for the first time the other day and we were talking about this purdue ohio state game from last year because that's what he he brought up and i said you know it's one of the unfortunate things people ohio state fans ohio state personnel don't want to admit it but one of the great things about college football is that occasionally a team like that steps up and kicks ohio state's ass that's what makes college sports great. I know that it sucks when it's your team that that happens to. The same as it stinks when uh, another, you know, even not even as good a team as Ohio State gets upset by someone else. But that's what makes college sports great. So now, having said all that, I think the motivation thing sometimes gets a little bit misconstrued because it's not game day motivation, I think, that necessarily makes a difference. Sometimes it's not even game day play calling and, and things like that that make the difference. It's what happens those other six days and, and the, the previous six months and the previous four years or whatever. It's, it's the motivation has to be day by day and, and over a long period of time. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. So, you know, just the same way that Urban Meyer grew into being the coach that he eventually was at Ohio State, that'll happen now for, for Ryan Day potentially. Um, he doesn't get to build up to it, having been a head coach somewhere else and, 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 and you know, grown in, in a different way. He's got to kind of jump right into the fire, as he alluded to the other day. But uh, I think over time, his personality and his stamp on the team will emerge. Um, now, will it be in the same way that Urban Meyer did it? 
it's that's very hard to predict, but probably not. Um, but that doesn't really mean it's going to be bad. It doesn't mean he can't in he you know whatever deficiency he has compared to Urban Meyer, he could also have um, an advantage on him in, in some way. No, and I, and I I I think that might be true. I, I, I... When the Patriots like lose to Buffalo like in Week Six. People don't say, oh, Belichick's so good. How come he lost to Buffalo? And it's like, because nobody in the NFL goes 16 and 0. It's like, right. if you go 12 and 4, you're really good. We just happen to be in a sport where in college football, like, you don't ever really get to lose. If you're elite, you never get to lose. Right. You never get to have a bad day unless you have a bad day against Miami of Ohio or the Citadel. If, you if don't get you, to be a wild card that wins the World Series or right. gets to the Super Bowl. You have to be undefeated or darn near it, maybe only losing to one of the other teams that's also in the mix at the end. So, so sometimes the idea of like, well, what happened there is like, well, you guys know this is sports, right? And like, nobody wins every game. It's just that we are in the one sport and at one of the few programs where legitimately winning every game is actually the expectation. And so it sort of skews how we look at things. But I would say the thing that I am more interested in is not how will ryan day maybe avoid the purdue or the iowa losses it's how will ryan day win the overtime game at wisconsin how will ryan day win those close games at penn state penn state got ohio state one year they could have gotten two of the other years in urban the urban meyer era too and they didn't um how will urban how will ryan day win the the maryland game as a head coach when the game's in the 50s and ohio state's giving up 90 yard touchdown runs all over the place And we did this on a podcast a couple months ago, how many close games Urban won. Um, I get it. I get it that the blowouts are weird and they're hard to understand. But I am more interested in when they're in a tight Big Ten game that's down to the wire. And Urban Meyer found a way to win 17-16 at Michigan State in 2012 to go 12-0. And when, when... Braxton Miller leaves in an ambulance against Purdue in 2012 at home, and the backup quarterback comes in and leads a game-tying drive and the game-tying two-point conversion and then wins in overtime. Like, can Ryan Day have a structure and a belief and leaders and that edge and have pushed the guys so hard in practice that the games seem easy in comparison? It's not about Iowa and Purdue. It's about winning all the games that Urban Meyer won because I just think sometimes they get you. Well, yeah, and, and also the other th- important corollary to that is the reason people can remember some of those Iowa and Purdue games so specifically, not again, the score played a, a role, but also they're not talking about the skid that Ohio State went on for a three- or four-week period. They're talking about one game. And, yes, I know every every week is a referendum on a team in college football, and each loss is magnified, as we were just saying. But I think what's going to be as important for Ryan Day is avoiding those losses, which I don't know is really possible for being realistic. Teams are eventually going to get upset. Teams are going to eventually have days where they lay an egg, inexplicable things happen. But what happens the week after that to prevent – something even worse happening you know maybe this year they have a a terrible game against uh, a a middling big 10 team and then the next week is week they have to play penn state it's week they have to play michigan um you have an even bigger game coming up the next week how do you respond to quote-unquote adversity in those moments yeah i think one of the reasons why people remember some of those games i'll point out to you specifically won the purdue game last year and then the michigan state game the year after the national championship game one 
the X's and O's part, we know why they lost those games a little bit against Michigan State. Zeke didn't get the ball enough, and he made it very clear after that game he didn't get the ball very enough. Enough. Last year, I actually thought he got the ball just enough. I thought he got the ball fine, but I'm the only person who thinks that. So continue with your point. But okay. I just always like to throw that in. Okay, fine. Everybody outside. I don't of think the... it's about you, Zeke. I didn't think it was about you. They didn't throw the ball well enough. Go okay, ahead. Okay, fine. Everybody he outside had of the. 2.3 yards per carry that game. <laughs> he did. It's not about you. Go okay. Ahead. That and then Purdue, Rondell Moore had a great game along with the fact that, like you alluded to earlier, they weren't great in the red zone last year. But the more important note is those are the games that kept them out of the college football playoff. And when that keeps you away from winning a national championship and you're dealing with a fan base where every year the goal is to win a national championship, we're sitting in the practice facility right now and we're looking at the amount of championships they've won from both a conference and a national championship perspective. If Doug looks to his right, he'll see all those national championships. <laughs> to be medals. fair, it's so dark that I can't see, but Steven has younger eyes. That's fair. So the point is when, when, there, when you can point to a specific reason and kind of blame it for why you didn't get a chance to win, compete for a national championship, that's part of, I guess, the fans' reason for why. I, I will say, right now, at the moment, the way that Ohio State, and I always get the years confused, but the year where they beat Penn State in overtime and it was like JT was running in double yeah. overtime into the corner of the end zone into the screaming whiteout, and he was like just dead, and he found a way to like tough it out and win like, I, I'm not 100% sure that, like, Ryan Day in year one, that his team wins that game. Like, and that's, like, up against the wall at one of the toughest places to play in America against a top 20 team that's a rival that has talent that, like, has your back against the wall. And it's like, you know, it, and again, like you said, Nathan, it's not that they're looking to Ryan Day to, like, pump his fist on the sideline, but is it in the program? Is it in the DNA of the day-to-day practice of the way everybody relates to each other, of the, of the tone that the head coach sets because he's been in those games, because he knows how to win. He actually knows how to win those games. Urban Meyer, how do you win at Penn State? Well, I won in Tuscaloosa. Let me tell you how to do it. I won in Death Valley. I'll tell you how to do it. I won at Georgia. I'll tell you how to do it. That I just think that helps. Because I, I always picture the thing down the road of like, I'm picturing like 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 the 2020 Ryan Day, and we're like referencing back to Ryan, um, you know, last year in your first big road game as a head coach, you went on the road to Nebraska and you guys didn't play very well and you lost. And then like Ryan Day's answer, you know what Ryan Day's answer in 2020 is going to be. He's going to be like, I learned so much from that experience. You know, we didn't have the guys ready, the way we traveled, the way we met that morning. I didn't like the vibe of the team, but I didn't do a good job shifting the focus. You know what I mean? Like coaches say that stuff all the time. Everybody loves to admit it after it happens, but nobody wants to talk about it before it might happen. And that's all I think that's going to happen. I think the stories I'm preparing for Ryan Day in 2020, like maybe on the way to the national title. I'm preparing for Ryan Day to be telling a couple of stories about what he learned in 2019. And as Ryan Day has said a thousand times, it's maybe one of his go-to sayings so far as head coach. The best way to learn is through failure. I think Ryan Day is going to learn some stuff this year. Uh, to play devil's advocate a little bit, and maybe it's out there, maybe it's not. 12-0, Steven. Yeah. Uh, I'm nine and three, Doug. I'm not, I'm not putting 12 on yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not ready to say that. We got time. I'll say this. I think a, a good fit. A good phrase that I learned a long time ago is smart people learn from their own mistakes, wise people learn from the mistakes of others. And he's got a really, really wise guy he can learn from who has been around here 
every so often. We've seen we've been at some practices and seen Urban Meyer still here. Urban Meyer still works for the Ohio State University. He can probably call that name whatever he wants. His starting quarterback is a freshman for all sense and purposes at being a starting quarterback in college football, but he's at bare minimum taking a snap in some of these environments playing in the SEC. So know the experience isn't to the level that maybe you would want it to be walking into some of these environments, but at bare minimum, he was on the field when that environment happened. Ryan Day was on the staff last year when they beat Penn State. So at bare minimum, they, 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 it's a little bit of experience to call on, but it's, I think it's enough to where they'll at least know what to do. The question isn't knowing what to do. I think it'll be more if they can execute it or not. And to his credit, they did go on the road to TCU last season yeah. in a game when Nick Bosa's body exploded. And TCU came out in a hurry-up offense and marched down the field on them and had a, had a game plan. And Ohio State found out a way to win that game. And that was with Ryan Day as a head coach on the sidelines. So, so. He's, they've got weird experience, but it exists. Yeah, I would say let's not discount as much as we're talking about that, you know, Ryan Day is still kind of in his own um, – infancy is probably not the right word. But at the beginning of his head coaching career, he took over this team under incredibly difficult circumstances last year, which is already probably its own learning experience. Um, I don't know how easily that translates to a more normal season, but I just think anytime you you perform under adversity, even if it's self-inflicted adversity by the the program at large, I think that is still something that benefits you in the long run. All right, next question. This is a good one, and I'm going to aim it at you two guys because you're both more qualified to answer this than I am. Um, What's the the behind-the-scenes chatter on Justin Fields' passing competency? Does Day have confidence that he can be effective when defenses load the box? That's from the 239. And then there's another one um, that was really good that I can't find, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the gist of it. Um, and it was basically watching Justin Fields in practice. Oh, this is from Joe in Chicagoland in the 330. In the limited time that you've seen Justin Fields practice, have there been moments or plays that made you think this guy is the next big thing or something along those lines? So, Nathan, you did a story, your first story on the beat, talking to a lot of other people about Justin Fields when he was named captain. And, Stephen, you have been the guy who every time we've had a window to watch, you have watched Justin Fields. So let's start with Stephen first. I have not zeroed in on Justin Fields in any setting. When you have zeroed in on him, what what has been your overall takeaway? I think he's a better thrower than I think some of the worries have been. I think from practice, I, I, I even asked Mike Yersich this, like, what's changed the most from the first day of spring practice to this exact moment of fall camp? And he said his decision-making has gotten better. The arm is there. Sometimes his placement needs to be better. And I, I think it was – a the second time we got to watch him actually throw and he was actually throwing to some wide receivers. And it looks like it's, it was a lot better than it was from the first time we watched him in the spring where there were some ugly throws. And it was a, a little bit of a combination of not really having chemistry with his receivers, but also just like his own ability to be accurate. And there were a lot of sideline throws. So it's clear you have to put the ball in a certain place. And he was a lot better than he was in the spring at it. Obviously we didn't get to see any scrimmages, so we can't really speak to what his decision-making was like. But like we said with the highlight videos, if it's a pick and we didn't see a quarterback, it's probably Justin Fields. But from what I've seen with my own eyes and what I've asked also receivers, hey, how was he like throwing over the summer? How often does he throw over the summer? And then when I've asked my yearsage, they said 
his ability to place the ball has gotten a lot better from where it was at the beginning of the spring to where it is now. And some of that is he's just gotten more comfortable being around guys. And so he has no problem having a conversation with guys about things. Yeah. So obviously I've never seen Justin Fields play football and I probably won't until August 31st against Florida Atlantic. I can, I, I mean, I've seen film, some clips, but I've never actually watched him in person the way that, that you guys have, have had some opportunity to. And so, and, and the gist of what I wrote uh, today at Cleveland.com, if you haven't read it, was Good plug. That's how we do it. Good plug. Was kind of delving into sort of the opposite of what you're asking in a way that everybody knew he's this physical talent, um, and it's been that way his whole life. But he had to come in and instill confidence in some other ways, and like gain the trust of this team in in through leadership, through being a vocal guy, through being assertive with that leadership. So that was more the, the gist of what I wrote there. However, in the in the process of talking to guys about that um i did have you know cj saunders talking about um that the ball is arriving in a different way than it was in the past week uh, than it was earlier in camp or, or certainly back to the spring or um uh, you know kj hill talking about just um some different recognition that's happening uh, in the passing game um i think it was even tough borland who said oh he's a guy who can make all the throws i mean because obviously they're going against each other uh, occasionally um i think a lot of it is um there were probably i understand why there were some concerns about the passing and even yesterday ryan day talking about how far away from being the capital s starting quarterback uh, justin fields was at the end of the spring but you got to remember that he's at that time very unfamiliar with a lot of things about this program, specifically the playbook. And by just becoming more familiar with the playbook, knowing where the throws have to be, knowing where his receivers are going to be, a lot of it is just familiarity. There's so much that goes into passing accuracy that has nothing to do with arm strength or or arm um, anything physical. It's, it's a lot of mental stuff. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of anticipating. And the more, the better you start to know the playbook, the better you can anticipate um, what, what's happening in front of you, especially when things, um, unexpected things start to develop. This is a good question from Santiago in the 478. Uh, it's talking about the Michigan game. Um, and if, if and when Ohio State beats Michigan, what will be the reason? Will it be A, that the Ohio State defense is one of the best in the country. B, the talent gap is just too big, that Ohio State is just that much more talented than anyone in the Big Ten. C, Justin Fields is playing at the level of a Heisman Trophy finalist. Or D, uh, the Big Ten and Michigan are just awful. That, like, they were overrated, they just weren't that good. And so, like, of course Ohio State beat them because Michigan, again, was was overrated by people. Um, I actually think my answer would be A, would be that this defense, because even the thing is, my guess at the moment, I'm not going to anticipate that Ohio State's going to hang 62 on Michigan in the big house, the way they hung 62 on Michigan last year in Ohio Stadium. Um, so I also don't think necessarily that like Ohio State can give up 39 the way they did to Michigan last year and win this year. So I think so much is going to depend and so much of the conversation, the comparisons now are Josh Gaddis versus Ryan Day and the, those offenses and Shea Patterson and his extra experience versus Justin Fields. But I do feel like if they're going to go to Michigan and win with the expectation that Michigan's offensive line is pretty good, their receivers are pretty good, Shea Patterson is pretty good, I think if they win, it's going to be because they found a way to kind of shut them down and that that would be the culmination of an Ohio State defense sort of playing like the Ohio State defense again all year. And as much as I've talked about Justin Fields and how important he is and all those things, 
Um, really, if if the defense is great, Justin Fields might not have to be great. And the Ohio State defense has been great a lot in the 15 years that I've covered them and in the 100 years that Ohio State football has existed. It just wasn't great last year. So of those four, Stephen, what, again, def- Ohio State's defense, the talent gap, Justin Fields, or the fact that Michigan just stinks, what would be the most likely reason for Ohio State's win in game 12 if Ohio State does win? I'm going to throw D out the window. I'm going to agree. I think, A, the defense is the most likely reason if, we're gonna, if I'm answering that question right now on, what is it, August 20th? Just based off, first of all, you've got two first-round picks on your defense right now. One's on your D-line and one's a cornerback in Okuda and Chase Young. Outside of that, look, it has to be better. Like, you, you ha- yeah, you, you won last year and you dropped 62 points, but you gave up 39 points as well, which means your defense wasn't great. Your offense just clicked to an extreme for one afternoon. If you give up 39 points this year, you're probably not going to win that game. So I think the most likely is the defense is just outstanding. I think the Justin Fields one is interesting, though. Because it's, it's not a crazy thought process that a guy who was a five-star prospect where the only quarterback who was rated higher than him is a guy who's going to be a number one pick in the NFL draft in two years ends up being a high, at a, playing at a Heisman level by that time. Not saying the entire season, but by that week, he's looking like, okay, next year this is going to look amazing. So th- that one's interesting, but just right now the defense is just outstanding that week. Yeah, sorry, I don't remember the the letter breakdown anymore. Uh, you took it off the screen, but um, I also so many questions. Look at how many questions we get. We haven't we even got to any to, of the Twitter questions. We have to go four hours. Can you guys? Can you do four hours? It depends on how fast yeah. they want us wow. to write off of tonight's game, tonight's uh, <laughs> Plus, practice. I mean, you got those tortillas waiting for you. I do too. And cheese. Did I mention the cheese? Um, no, I, I I agree with Stephen. I think and agree with you that that A is the most likely one. However, I was also going to say that. Um, that you know, I don't know if it makes him a Heisman contender, but going on the road and beating a, a really good Michigan team and with a lot at stake in Week 12 and what that ramifications that could have for you know national title conversations or playoff conversations, um, that's the kind of thing that usually helps people win awards like the Heisman Trophy and contend for them. So uh, I, I agree. If if he if if Justin Fields starts to reach his either single season or overall ceiling this year um that that's the kind of you know special athlete special quarterback that can go into a place as hostile as that and and come out with a win all right so when we when i asked the twitter question i said i also want people to send things for nick uh to <laughs> learn about ohio See, now state people football. are gonna think i my name yeah. is yeah nick. nathan nick baird um it's my nickname hey it's your nathan name the the okay so what we're gonna do <laughs> Let's get short answer on these, and okay. either all three of us won't answer it, or if we do, we'll all be really short. I, I, we're not going to get to every single text question, but to be fair, they're paying for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Echo, echo. They're paying for journalism. They're buying our Popeyes, so. Uh, from the 864, most people seem to think DeMario is going to be the number two running back. Could less carries for Fields mean more touches for DeMario? Uh, not really. I don't think that's really the equation. Uh, they're trying to save J.K. with a, a backup running back they can rely on. I'm not sure the backup running back is really related uh, to Justin Fields. Um, we'll all answer this. If you allocated all of your paid time off for the year and you had two days left over, what would you do with them? Steven, if you had two free days to do anything, what would you do? I'd sleep the first day just because, you know, 
who doesn't love sleep. And the second day, I'd probably just, like, hang out with my friends because, like, I'm in my mid-20s. So, like, me hanging out with my friends is a lot different than, you know, someone with a family hanging out with their friends. It's a lot different than someone like Doug who has no friends. Um, I would do, like, a corner-to-corner, ceiling-to-floor, wall-to-wall decluttering of everything I own so that the next time I have to move, if I ever do, it's a much less laborious process than what I'm going through right now. That's that should just be something I do every year. That's just a responsible thing. Uh, <laughs> I would uh, I would uh, fly to Disney World. So, like, I mean, yeah. You're going to spend half your day on the flight, though. Worth it. Uh, it's only two hours. It's only yeah, two it's hours to Orlando. Straight, oh, you straight spend, wait, you spend both days doing that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, okay, never mind. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'd be there. Um... If the offense struggles from the eight one three, do you think there's a world where Ryan Day turns the play calling over to Kevin Wilson? No. Um, no. 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 First of all, if he turned it over, he'd turn it over to Yersich. Yeah. And second of all, the funnest thing about football is calling plays. And that's why all head coaches who are coordinators stick to it for a while. It is a weaning process that takes time. And, like, the only way he would do it in the middle of the year is if he, like, wants someone else to blame if they're like two and four, and then he's like, "Here, you do it." <laughs> as long as it's not a complete disaster. At uh, at Purdue, Jeff Brom has a brother who is, was a great college quarterback, was a quarterbacks coach, and is his offensive coordinator. But guess who calls the plays at Purdue? Jeff Brom. Yep. That's how. And you're right. It's it's. It, why would you give up that duty if you didn't have to? It's so fun. Uh, from three one zero, lost in all this talk about monitoring Justin Fields' load. I can't help but think how important J.K. Dobbins' health will be with the lack of depth at both quarterback and running back were perilously close to a pretty inexperienced and perhaps inept offense if one of those guys go da- goes down. Um, do, wh- how important do you guys think it is to keep J.K. Dobbins healthy? And how – I asked Ryan Day about, like, are you going to sort of give a nod to the lack of a backup with Justin Fields? Do you think – what do you think they should do with J.K. Dobbins? It's sort of like a – it's like, hey, you don't believe in your backup. So do you think you should play your backup more to – keep jk dobbins healthier you know what i mean like what like you certainly do handle it it? yeah you certainly do it in those situations like what we were talking about before um but in general you just keep trying to develop i mean that's the other thing that we sometimes forget as we're talking about these things but um the season you know the preseason the development doesn't end on next thursday or next friday before they play i mean it's going to keep going and you've got to find a way to, to develop some more help over the course of the season. I think it's a combination of two things. One, obviously what the coaches staff can do for J.K. Dobbins, but more, I think more importantly what J.K. Dobbins can do for himself. He's known since the first day of spring that he was going to get this type of load this year. And so what he's done this offseason, I think, like he said, he's gone on a diet. He's kind of prepared himself. They didn't really like give him a heavy load in the spring and really obviously they did what they needed to do in the fall to get him prepared. But the trainer needs to become his best friend. And he needs to be honest. When he, when he needs to come out the game, he needs to come out the game. Uh, can this team from the 614, can this team win a national championship with a good but not great offense and an absolutely elite defense? Well, any team can win a national championship like that in, in theory. Um, but I don't. that does not seem to be I, – I don't see that as the formula for this team. I think there is more – there is enough offensive talent here, offensive talent here – that I would lean them being good, better than good, not great. And then you've also got as much depth and talent as there is on defense. I don't know that it's going to completely overshadow the offense by that. I, th- I think they can get to the college football playoff with that formula. I don't know if they can win a national championship with that formula just because of the two teams that we all think are probably going to be playing for the national championship. Uh, 
The 2016 Ohio State team had a secondary that had four NFL first-round draft picks in it, uh, a boatload of NFL guys on the defensive line, and they lost 31 nothing in the playoff to Clemson. So, like, if you can't score with Trevor Lawrence or Tua, you can't win at all. Um, I, like, that defense was crazy. And we've talked about this. It's like they just – they didn't – if you give Dwayne Haskins that defense or you drop Dwayne Haskins at quarterback onto that 2016 team – as I think in college football, to a large degree, like the the cliche, mostly in, in all football, doesn't yeah. exist. it's gone. I mean, it's just it's it's yeah. not realistic. You know, like the, who's the Patriots' best defensive player of their of the Tom Brady? I mean, there isn't one. It's because it's about Tom Brady. Now Belichick is a great defensive mind, but like if you don't have a quarterback and you can't put up points when you need to, even though the Super Bowl was six to five last year, um, I just think, when they I don't to. think that I, I think they've got to, and that's the whole thing. They go for quarterbacks with upside now because they figured out that JT Barrett really like pretty decent JT Barrett in 2016 wasn't good enough. So like you, you got to go with more of a passing quarterback with upside. And as much as Fields has running ability, he has greater passing ability than Braxton Miller or JT Barrett ever had. And so I think you need that upside at quarterback to give your offense upside because I think you have to do that to really win it all. Uh, I can't understand why they won't play Baron Browning. Um, I don't get it. I've asked it several times. Um, I'll keep asking about Baron Browning. They just love the three linebackers they love. That's for the 7-4-0, which leads to the next question from the 6-1-9. A tough Borland question. Do you think he could have a breakout all Big Ten season? I think the fact he's been a two-time captain says – more about him as a person and also his potential as a player than most people think. He was playing on one leg last year. Um, and I think it's possible. We talked about tough. We talked to tough Borland. He got a lot of questions about that on the captain day on Monday and tough Borland does not like talking about things and he really does not like talking about himself. And so, but he did say when he was asked like, how are you physically this year compared to last year? He said night and day. And then I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I'm not saying anything else. <laughs> like, it's night and day. And he wouldn't elaborate. But, I, you know, it's like, oh, do you, it's just he feels a lot better. And so I think it was fair to evaluate Tough Borland as not great last year, as not he wasn't coached very well by Bill Davis. The coaching at linebacker had to get better. But if you are hanging a big Tough Borland improvement on him feeling better, and, and not being physically limited, he's not limited in any way right now. I think that is a reasonable thing to do. I still want to see a lot of Baron Browning and Taraji Mitchell, but I do not think this scenario is out of the question. Uh, let's let's, let's also not underestimate how far having a name like Tough Borland and having a good personal story can go towards getting the kind of accolades. He's asking more about whether he would have an all-Big Ten kind of season. I think we know what he means. But as far as actually getting an award like that, he's got some other things going for him. This is a quick one from the 817 who asked a lot of good questions. If Michigan can't beat Ohio State and get to the college football playoff this year, does Jim Harbaugh leave or is he fired? What is your – I've had a lot of opinions on Jim Harbaugh over the year. My basic take is he lifted them out of the doldrums. Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke drove that program into the ground. And my opinion is if Jim Harbaugh can't get it done at Michigan, nobody can get it done at Michigan. And it says more about the state of the program and where they sit in the modern college football era than his, his how successful he was or did he do a good job or a bad job. But do you guys have an opinion on, like, 
do you think it would be possible that like they just would decide, you know what, like he's like, I'm, I'm giving up. I'm going back to the NFL. Enough is enough. Or from I, I, we all have an outsider's view of Michigan. Do you think no, 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 no? Jim Harbaugh is in for the long haul at Michigan. I think to get fired, you'd have to be talking about something catastrophic. I don't think going ten and two, losing to insert team here, losing to Ohio State, not making the playoff, um, is that catastrophe that gets him fired. I do think it's more like it might be more likely that he could go back to the NFL. But obviously, the way things went there, uh, his last stop, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a pretty bad taste in his mouth from that. Um, and again, we're talking about the, the kind of the rarefied air of those teams where if you only win nine games, I mean, I, <laughs> the last time I was a, a, a college football beat writer, uh, the coach was fired for winning nine games in three and a half seasons. So <laughs> that's the perspective that I have coming in here on why nine and three uh, doesn't sound maybe as catastrophic to me as it does to the average Ohio State fan. But I, I understand that we're talking about that. You know, they chose it as Ryan Day said yesterday himself. They chose this kind of challenge to come here where the expectations are so high. Same thing for Jim Harbaugh. But I think it would be it would surprise me if he were fired again without something just catastrophic happening. Is, is there a part of you that, like, all the discussions that we have about all this stuff, you're like, what? Yeah. Like, that would be bad? <laughs> yeah, 9-3. to three, Like, literally, like, you know, it, it, when I covered Purdue, Darryl Hazel was fired in 2016, and they had won nine games in three and a half seasons. I think Great no, guy. no more than three. I think Ohio year. State fans would have a heart attack if Ohio State won nine oh, games my God. in three oh, years. Yeah, yeah. It's always like, I'm, it's like... Yeah, it's like, well, you've got to give Ryan Day at least three years. Like, if Ryan Day goes three and nine this year, like, he's done. He's done. <laughs> like, like we're not, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. but three and nine is, is a lifetime different than yeah. nine and three. I think, I think we're in a real interesting two-year window for Jim Harbaugh now because before you could just kind of toss it up to Matt Urban Meyer's Urban Meyer. He never lost to Michigan. He never did that. Urban Meyer's gone. This is a new coach who's never been a head coach of an actual team. He head coached for three games, and that's because Urban Meyer got suspended. He's got a starting quarterback who, who has weird experience, like, like I said, weird experience here. Like, yeah, you've played in some college football games, but you've never actually been the starting quarterback. You've got a defense who's coming off probably one of its worst years, probably the worst year under Urban Meyer and has a lot to prove this year. You've got really the only two proven offensive weapons right now are KJ Hill and JK Dobbins. You've got an offensive line that's almost brand new. D- defensive line, I mean, Larry Johnson's the head coach. So I'm never going to doubt Larry Johnson as the head coach of, as, I'm sorry, as the, coach of a defensive line this year I think especially is the year where it's like if you can't get it done this year then at least the conversation of like man this is probably not going to happen for me here like I don't I agree with you I don't think he's ever going to get fired just because you know 10 and 2 is still not terrible but I think at the end of the day when this is a rival where it's if you can't beat Ohio State especially in this year I think the conversation at least has to start of is it ever going to happen with Jim Harbaugh as head coach this is a good, quick answer from the 706. Do you think the nation is underestimating the Buckeyes this year? I mean, they're the number five team in the country. No, I, I don't think so. I, again, I'm coming from the perspective of, 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 of uh, maybe a more realistic perspective of, of what that really means. I mean, it's saying that from the beginning, without even seeing Justin Fields quarterback this team, um, without seeing, you know, Ryan Day taking this program over, you know, for himself for the first time, um, they think this is one of the five best teams in the country, which it only happens if you're only if you're going undefeated, losing one game somewhere in that capacity. So no, I don't. I really don't see this as being underrated. It. I think it's very hard to underrate a team like Ohio State and 
and Clemson and Alabama and those teams. I mean, they every year they tend to be. It's more likely in most years that they would be overrated rather than underrated just based on their name. No, I think they're getting the benefit of the doubt. I think they're being underrated because Ryan Day is not famous. I think like the average college football fan who like Urban Meyer, everybody knows who Urban Meyer is, and they don't know who Ryan Day is. And so I think as much as like I'm predicting them to go nine and three, it's like we know that like Ryan Day's good. Like I don't know that anybody here who is in Columbus or I don't know that there's any Ohio State fan or anybody who covers the team or is around the team that would think, I don't know if that guy's gonna be the right guy. I think like almost everybody would be like, Yeah, this guy is pretty sharp. He seems like he's doing a lot of good stuff. He's just never done it before. Where I think, like, if you're, like, a college football fan uh, in Texas, and they're like, yeah, Urban Wire quit. Who's the guy they have now? They're probably going to – you know what I mean? Like, I think there might be some of that, that when you go from having one of the three most famous coaches in college football, and until Dabo actually be, kind of became one name, a one-name guy, when it was just Saban and Urban, mm-hmm. it was like, you just were like, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's Urban Meyer. It was like, you didn't even, it's like – well, the Urban Meyers are going to be good this year. Yeah, he coached at Ohio State, right. but Urban Meyer almost nationally was almost more famous than Ohio State. As opposed to now, I wonder, just like I would underestimate, uh, I'm trying to think, like a coach who took over, like Justin Fuentes took over at Virginia Tech. And I was like, I don't know, that guy was at Memphis, but like they're probably going to stink. And like people at Virginia Tech are probably like, actually, he's really good. And like Frank Beamer was more famous, but actually this dude's got a lot going on. Um I just like famous people. I don't. <laughs> my <laughs> that my, was a really worried word. My cousin had a baby in Brooklyn. His wife did. Twins. And the twins were in the ICU. And my my cousin, who's a man, was trying to go visit his new babies in the ICU and the he he couldn't get to the ICU. They would not let him go because a part of the hallway was blocked off and he was like, my babies are in the ICU and like, you are not keeping me from my babies. And the reason that he couldn't get through was because Beyonce and Jay-Z were in the same hospital and I just had their baby. See, and that's why I don't like famous people. <laughs> they, they really mess up the flow of life. But especially in sports, I don't like famous people. So he was like, anytime... Uh, he should for like a two years, it would be like, uh, you know, Jay Z or Beyonce would like drop a new album or whatever, and Dude, my hey. cousin on Facebook would be like, <laughs> <laughs> and it would be like, I a hundred, I would be the exact same yeah. way. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it has uh, it has colored my perception because he's like, believe me, I am not trying to get an autograph. I am trying <laughs> to get to my babies. So yeah, take that, famous people. Um, we can't get to everything. We can't get get to everything. I want to get to like one or two more. Oh, this is a good one. And this will be a good one for Nick to catch up on. Me and my brother from Pennsylvania are lifelong Buckeyes fans. And this year we finally got tickets to a game. It's the night game versus Michigan State. My question is, what are the things we must do to get the full Buckeye experience? Maybe Buckeye Grove or the Buckeye Walk or even the Skull Session. If you could give some insight on your opinion, that would be great. Thanks, Michael. So like, yes, 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 and yes. Go walk through Buckeye Grove, which is next to the stadium. It's all the trees. For all the All-Americans, that's a big deal. Absolutely go to the Skull Session. Um, and then you can leave the Skull Session. The Skull Session gets crowded. 
but you'll probably be able to get a seat if you want to wait outside and be in the line between the Blackwell Hotel and St. John Arena when the team walks from the Blackwell to St. John. You could line the path there and then go into the skull session late, or you could go to the skull session early, get a good seat, and then as soon as it ends, boogie on out of there and get out of the skull session and then get in the line of people between the skull session and Ohio Stadium when the team walks from the skull session to this to the stadium for the game and they're all in their suits and they're high-fiving people and you can yell to guys and wave to guys and like they will acknowledge you and like I would definitely don't go inside too early like absorb all the stuff outside because like inside is fine but like a lot of the cool stuff is outside so I would make sure that like you try to get that part of the experience um there are parents of the players that hang out outside the Blackwell when they're coming down the steps and you can recognize them because they're wearing like if someone's wearing like a Josh Myers jersey, it's like that's just not like the biggest Josh Myers fan in the world. They don't make Josh Myers jerseys. You've got to be a family member to go get those made. And maybe you can go up and say, hey, I really think your son's a good player. Good luck to him. And then, you know, Josh Myers, his dad or mom or uncle or aunt or brother can shake your hand, like absorb all that outside stuff. But you must go to the skull session and then obviously stay in your seat for all the band stuff like the script Ohio is legit and like script ohio in the stadium is like the deal so that's before the game and then the halftime show when they do all the crazy things and the band forms like michael jackson and moon walks across the field or makes crazy designs that you're going to see on youtube later especially if you have a good high seat stay in your seat at halftime and try to watch um the band do it show because from a higher view you really get a good feel for what that is I agree. I mean, I, I'll be doing all this stuff for the first time, so uh, I can't do a lot of recommendations. Obviously, when I came here for games before, I just went directly to my seat and uh, started writing. So um, I, I definitely echo your your advice, though. Stay out as long as you possibly can. Try to time the absolute perfect time to come inside, because then once you're inside, you're inside for four hours. So maximize seeing everything outside the stadium if you can. Last question from the texters and then we'll get to a quick couple twitter questions probably too late for the pod senate 904 not too late but just saw a tweet from the ohio state buckeyes account that made me think how much will practicing against the buckeyes defensive backs help the development of our receivers and i guess the reason they tweeted that out is because nathan was asking questions about it because that's the story you're writing yeah how much do you think it helps these guys to be going against each other receivers versus secondary well as you can all read tomorrow hopefully morning on cleveland.com they all say it helps them a lot and and there's you know the receivers say the db room is helping them the dbs say the wide receiver group is helping them um and it's a question that i you know we were getting both of those groups today and rather than come up with just specific things to ask each player i I wanted something that would kind of give us a a a feel for both rooms and uh, that was just to me kind of a natural question when you've got what's it like to be a receiver at ohio state and you're a really good player but every guy you go up against in that in practice from that DB group is also just a fantastic and in most cases really veteran, really savvy, um, ex- experienced player and vice versa. You know, you can have a great day as a DB in practice, but the guys you're going up against as receivers are just um, some of the fastest, some of the most agile, some of the most um, secure in all college football. And you can do the right thing and still get burned. Um, is that a frustrating experience? So. Um, yeah, it's making both those groups better, or so they say, and we'll have more about that at cleveland.com tomorrow. All right, if you send a text message and uh, you didn't hear it on this podcast, I'll answer it to you directly, because that's the promise. If you subscribe to our text message service, which is going great, the numbers can continue to climb. It's three ninety nine a month. I send you one or two, sometimes three. If a lot is going on, sometimes four. 
texts a day. It's information and insight on the football team that you care about the most. Uh, and this week we tried a new trivia thing where I asked a trivia question and then everybody sent their answers in and then like three people got it right. And then I got the first person, I got their name and I gave them a shout out to everybody else. So try it. It's like a 14 day tr free trial. If you hate it, you can cancel it and not have to pay a nickel. Um, but I'm just telling you, if you care enough about Ohio State to listen to this podcast, I really, really, truly think you might get something out of the tech service, at least to try it and then figure out if I'm driving you nuts. Because I understand I'm a lot. Some of you, like two hours and 20 minutes once a week is enough. You do not want me in your phone every day. I get it. But if you can handle it, try it. Nathan, what are the tweets that we want to get to? Oh, man, there's so many here. Um, somebody asking, I got a lot of questions about the Purdue-Ohio State game last year. Like, what? why did that happen, basically? What were the reasons that Ohio State failed, basically? And unfortunately, I, it's not when I was covering that game, I wasn't really covering it necessarily from that perspective, nor do I think that's really an accurate narrative of what happened there as I, for reasons I described before. But um, basically, Ohio State didn't score early when it had the chance. Purdue was playing with a lot of emotion that day for reasons I think people are familiar with, and uh, things just sort of snowballed. Um, coming from the Big Ten West, who do you think will win that division this year? Uh, I know there's a lot of love for Nebraska. I'm maybe not as high on them as some other people are. I think they're going to be legitimately good. I would maybe lean towards Iowa winning that division. However, I do think it could be a little bit like last year where there, you got pretty late in the season and there were still three or four teams fighting for that. Can I interrupt you for a second? Absolutely. Do, do you know who's higher on Nebraska than anybody? Surely Literally you. anybody in America? You? Me. I ranked them higher in the preseason AP poll than anyone. I ranked Nebraska 12th to the extent that like random people from Nebraska are just tweeting fantastic things at me about how <laughs> right. much they love me. And I was on a Nebraska radio show today and they said, Doug, why do you have Nebraska 12th? And I said, it's because I filled out my ballot in nine minutes at Brown's camp. And as soon as I filled it out, I set it on fire and I don't care about it. So that's why I ranked Nebraska 12th. But also thanks to everyone who sent critical things about me damaging my reputation with my AP ballot. That I do for free as a service to college football fans. That has no effect on anything. Thank you for your criticism. Go ahead. Um, people asking about, you know, um, this. oh, it's the Nick question. Do You already read this one, right? About uh, um, pizza or spicy? Pizza or spicy, yeah. But he was asking you other questions, too, but I think we got that. Uh, someone asked where I was from in central Illinois because they grew up in Mount Zion, which is down south of Decatur. I'm actually from a town nobody's ever heard of called Indianola, Illinois, which is like 250 people in the middle of a bean field. Uh, my dad was born in that town a long time ago. Um, Are you but now it's, the it's, most famous person from that town? Uh, man, I just about might be. I think we had a kid that was uh, a, an ultimate fighter or something um, that was vaguely from Indianola, but I, I feel like I'm the most famous person from Indianola. But um, it, people who know, it's it's if you go right across the Indiana border, uh, Danville, um, we're right around Danville. Are you near Hoopston? Are you near Hoopston? I'm in the same county as Hoopston. I'm in the yeah. same county where Dad Mata is. I went and did a big from. Hoopston story like yeah, nine Hoops, years ago. The Hoopston area corn jerkers. Yeah, we played them in uh, in various sports over the years. Um, what did what did they chant? What did the corn jerkers chant at people? Or did you j j chant at them? We're gonna we're gonna jerk your corn or something? You know, like, actually, what? I should take that back. I, we played them occasionally. I would, they weren't a big rival of ours because we were down like at the farm schools at the south of the county, not the farm schools at the north of the county. The like preppy farm schools up at the north part of the county preppy so farm schools right oh the, the, we were the good salt of the earth people uh down in the southern part of the county and they were like the snobby all, all, I, I always thought of anything once you got to danville which is like right in the middle of the county and that's like the big city of like thirty thousand people then anything danville up north it's just was all I, I thought of them as being like very like um 
snobby and proper the, the proper people the social hierarchies of rural america yeah, are it's hilarious. just impossible to navigate i feel for you wow um let's jerk see that I, corn. I, I, I... this was an amazing conversation <laughs> jerk that corn <laughs> Uh, do we think Braxton Hyde running combo from 2013 was the most unstoppable he's seen at OSU? Do we think Fields Dobbins could have a similar dominance? So uh, Braxton and, and Carlos Hyde were really good in 2013. It's about melding it together because it was funny. Like when, when they started playing Terrell Pryor in 20, in 2008 and they had Beanie Wells in the backfield and it was sort of like, we don't know what to do. Like they couldn't figure it out at first, although there was a play at the end of the Wisconsin game where Pryor and Wells like ran a thing together that led to the game-winning touchdown. It was like, oh my gosh, it's a miracle. And it was like, oh, that was like the infancy of the zone read. So I think there's a lot of potential there. I do think Fields and Dobbins can be as good as Hyde and Braxton, but but part of it is just the way you play off of each other, and they've got to develop that. There's a, a two-part question. Uh, do I think do we think the XFL is a serious threat to college football? And do I have any <sighs> concerns about Doug's basement and the smells therein? No and no, because I've been now in the basement of my own new lodging here in Columbus, and it's like something out of like where they kept the bodies in um, hostel, like as they were, you know, as they were taking them to be chopped up and stuff. It's uh, it's so a pretty worse than place. farts, worse than farts. potentially worse than farts. Yeah, I'm in the clear then. The the what was the other thing you said? Was oh, um, do we think the XFL is gonna uh, is a serious threat to college football? Steven, I wanted because to because. They can take players one year out of high school. Do you think, Stephen, and I know there's a guy that I follow on Twitter who is one of the founders of this HBL basketball league that they're starting. It's yeah, going to yeah, be a yeah. league. Um, and we're seeing just a trickle of guys. Darius Baisley was a guy who did it. Yeah. There's a trickle of guys who are trying the overseas route. or try- yeah. Do you think – I think it's a more legitimate question for, for college basketball, yeah. and, and we can have a much longer discussion about it when we get to basketball season. But do you envision that? That I think football's harder – but do you think we could see a real alternative to college basketball for high school players like in the next five years? To be honest, no, um, and not because it's not a real thing. Because we've seen it multiple – David West used to play in the NBA. He started his own thing. Obviously, we saw what LeVar Ball tried to do. We're seeing guys go to Australia now and try to do different things and all the things you named. I don't know how much longer that rule in the NBA is going to exist because – if that rule goes away, it cuts all that out because most of these top – Amani Bates is, like, the guy everybody thinks is going to be the the first, like, high schooler drafted number one overall since Dwight Howard because they, they think by the time he graduates from high school, which I think he's going into his sophomore year right now, so they think by the time he graduates from high school, that rule won't exist. So I think they're all great ideas, but they're all tingent on the NBA keeping that rule of you have to be a year removed from high school. And I don't think that rule is going to exist much longer. And most people think we're coming up on that double draft or whatever. It's yeah. going to be in a couple of years where, where it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Uh, over under passing yards for fields this season, uh, 3,200, 3,600. They're throwing out some questions, some guesses. I would lean towards the lower end of that only because he's going to get so many yards with his feet. Yeah, I mean, I think we got we really got to zero in on that. I mean, I think like 32 to 35 is probably where my head's at right mm-hmm. now. Um, but I think it's a good thing to think about. And, again, we, you just got to remind yourself of what guys did in the past. I mean, like, JT Barrett was, like, I think in the 33 range a lot. So mm-hmm. he's not Dwayne Haskins. Justin Fields is not Dwayne Haskins. But, like, I think there are some valid JT Barrett comparisons for when you're trying to figure out what Justin Fields' stats might look like this year. Last year, the defense gave up 31 to a bad Oregon State team, and you could see the defensive issues that lasted all season. 
what would we like to see game one from the defense that would give a better feeling for the for, for the rest of the season? I think you want to see a structure that makes sense. I think as we work in this world where there's going to be a bullet, there's maybe going to be two safeties sometimes, there's going to be three corners on the field a lot. Do, just, do guys look like they're in the right position and are guys taking the right angles? And are guys like someone was even talking today, Isaiah Pryor was saying just about the rules they have and that even the idea of like, if somebody misses something, there's going to be somebody there to make up for it. That I think that, you know, it's, it's the process. Process matters so much. And so, yes, it's like you could see it early on when they're giving up some of these big plays and some of these big busters and the, and the, and the safeties are taking bad angles to the ball. And it's like, how come there's not a guy in that spot? So if, if with all the changes they've made defensively, if guys are in the right spot, if like, if you get beat deep on a throw, you know, or like you hit a nice slant over the middle and somebody runs away from you, like that happens sometimes, but as long as the angles are good and, and the scheme looks smart, that's what I'd look for. I have a question based off that. What are the chances that like this looks ugly because they're trying too hard to match what they're doing on defense with what the offense is doing? Because you, we've heard so many times where what's on the field is going to depend on what the offense puts on the field. What are the chances that are, you know, while they're trying to match, it just looks ugly. And by week seven, they're like, we're just going to scrap something and just stick with one thing. Well, I think there's every possibility that there's going to be possessions or, or 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 plays where it looks very ugly on August 31st where things could just go haywire for a down or or whatever um if it's still happening in week 7 it's obviously a huge problem but um with with anything there's a learning curve and as much as they try to drill it out um it, going live against a a team that you don't know you're still gonna, you're going to have a few of those instances on on the first game of the year that's why it's maybe um a good thing they're playing Florida Atlantic and not you know Florida State I'm expecting ugliness with the offense. I am going to be surprised if there's ugliness with the defense. And and part of that, too, this, I guess maybe the only thing I won't be surprised is if, for some reason, the front four and the back seven look disconnected. Mm-hmm. Or if it looks like Madison and, and, and Jeff Halfley aren't linked up. But if, in general, like the players look confused, I'll be surprised. Uh, two-part question. How is Zach Harrison doing in camp? And have I had canes yet? And if so, what are my thoughts? I don't believe I've ever had canes. Do they have uh, it in Indiana? I, no, okay. I, not that I know of. Um, I have not come across one. I can't remember if we would have had it here at a game. Um, I know that at basketball they get some kind of barbecue or something usually. Yeah, but it's not canes. It's not canes, right? So city barbecue usually. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So um, I will say my only my only thought about canes is I've heard the recommendations here, and also I went on a little walk in my neighborhood today and found one there's among many things that are very close to where I live. There's also one right down there. Okay, well maybe I'll be having it here when we wrap up the podcast. As for Zach Harrison, I'm gonna let you guys answer because I. I have not seen him. I mean, I don't like it's been, there's been no like indication that he will or won't be a part of the rotation, but like young five star guys, like I don't I feel like I haven't heard a lot or seen a lot and like I don't know exactly still who the fourth defensive end is. Like we know it's going to be and, and if Jonathan Cooper there's Tim May uh, has reported that Jonathan Cooper has a high ankle sprain. Yeah. Um if Jonathan Cooper's out for any time, then we it's know Tyreke. it's Tyreek Smith and and you knew it's Chase Young, Tyreek Smith, and Jonathan Cooper. Those are the top three. I don't know if the fourth guy's Tyler Friday. Probably it is. Like, Javante Jean-Baptiste, I think, has looked good in practice at times. I don't know where Zach Harrison mixes into that. But at the moment, I'm not making a lot of assumptions about Zach Harrison. And I think if, like, Zach Harrison was going nuts in practice and was going to have, like, a huge role and be, like, a guy who's, like, getting half the reps defensive end, I feel like we would have heard more. Like, between Chase Young pretty much name-dropping every – defensive lineman he can and 
Larry Johnson's excitement about the inside guys rotating six, he, one of those two guys would have probably said something. Which is fine because Zach Harrison's level of football that he played in Central Ohio last year was well, not real yeah. high, which is not about him. And it doesn't if he doesn't play much this year, it says nothing about his potential as a Buckeye. It just says that he needs a year to get acclimated. Yeah. So I just, I just might be, if I was a fan, I might be ready for a year of acclimation for him. Um, which game is a bigger concern? Home against Wisconsin, home against Michigan State, at Northwestern. Northwestern. I'm going to say at Northwestern. Uh, only because I feel like somebody asked before about whether Ohio State's being underrated. I feel like Northwestern, I'm not saying this only because I'm sitting next to a Northwestern grad, uh, is perpetually <laughs> underrated. Like one of the best, like one of the most underrated football teams in college football. And again, it, I know it's because they never get to a playoff. They never get to, it, it's rare they even get to a Big Ten championship game, I guess. But they're just so consistent, so well run, so well coached. And to go on the road with, with some of the talent that they could have this year, I think it's one of those looming potential trip-up games. I have The Wisconsin game is like my third loss at the moment uh, with Michigan and Nebraska. I'm just like looking for like another loss. It could, I think it could be a variety of games in the middle of the season. Um, I'm just expecting Wisconsin. Like they, were all, they had all kinds of expectations last year, and all I did was yell at everybody who had Wisconsin as a playoff pick and then gloat when I knew Wisconsin was going to stink and they lost to BYU and they, and they weren't very good last year. And then I actually did a podcast where I made, I brought national college football writers on the podcast and made fun of them for picking Wisconsin to make the playoff. But, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. That's not in dispute. Again, Nathan, as you learn about this podcast, the fact that I am a terrible person is not one of the things that's up for grabs. That has been established. your platform to make fun of them. Andy Staples here from SI.com. Dude, what is wrong with you? That is exactly how that conversation went. I totally think Wisconsin's one of those teams that's like, hey, you're supposed to be really good. They stink. And now everyone's like, hey, you're going to stink, and they're going to be really good. They have to figure out their quarterback situation. I'm going to say Wisconsin, but I think if you asked maybe half the, the Big Ten fans and said, there are, two co- there are two Big Ten teams that are going to start five-star transfers at quarterback this year, who are they? Northwestern, I'm pretty sure it's one of them. Yeah, I mean, and Ohio State. Yeah. So it's like it's Justin right. Fields. And then, oh, by the way, the guy who was, like, supposed to be Trevor Lawrence before Trevor Lawrence is now Northwestern's quarterback. Now Pat Fitzgerald's playing it close to the vest and apparently is not going to name a starting quarterback before they open against Stanford, and they're going to let you find out at the first snap. Oh, I'm the, assuming, old, the Ohio State route. I'm assuming. Yeah, that worked really well, Pat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Who's going to be out there? It's going to be Cardale. We're going to send Cardale and JT out there together, and then one of them's going to high-five the other one and run off the field. Just whisper in their ear real quick. What a plan, Tim Beck. Um, and then Tim Beck told Joe Shad from ESPN, it was like Joe Shad got to break who Ohio State's starting quarterback was. It's like, I don't want you to tell me stuff, Tim Beck, because I thought you were terrible here. Again, that's kind of a thing we do here is the Tim Beck thing. Um, I haven't picked all I have. It was Tim Beck, and then it was Bill Davis is the assistant coach who I think is terrible. The leader in the clubhouse for this year so far is Greg Madison because he worked oh, yeah. at Michigan for 13 years. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to beat it into the program here that you hate Michigan, and then it's like, hey, you worked at Michigan for 13 years? Come on down, man. I'm like, dude, what is up with that? So we'll see how that goes. You don't have to – not everybody in the podcast has to have an assistant coach they think is terrible, right. but I like to. Well, so far the only ones I've talked to have answered my questions, so that's the only thing I have to judge <laughs> them by. And they gave me pretty good answers, so um, – they're two for two right now. And I can't remember what we were talking about. Oh, so I would say Wisconsin, but I think they're all in the mix. And I think that's my point with the schedule is there's like six or seven games where you can go through and be like, they could lose. Yeah. 
Okay. Like, how much of a disaster is it if they lose that Cincinnati game? Like, is it just give me like what happens? They lose. That's 20, a good question. They lose twenty four to twenty two to Cincinnati. Like, which were, which law? Basically, like let's like open up a little. Outside of Michigan, obviously because of rivalry, which loss would like freak Ohio State fans out the most? So they they almost lost to Cincinnati like the year they won the national championship in two thousand two. They they've had some weird games with Cincinnati. They've had weird early season games, but like they all, they've never lose them. So the idea of like, well, someone finally got us, I think is sort of the point you said. And actually, like as I predicted, Nebraska loss, they come back with Michigan State at night at home the next week. Then that game is huge because, as we said, I don't think it's the first loss that makes anybody freak out. I think it's the second loss. So, like, if they lose to Cincinnati. But then it's like they beat Nebraska and they beat Michigan State. And then you can sort of brush off the early losses like, you know what? Ryan Day was new. Justin Fields was new. Crazy stuff happens. But look, they're getting it together. If they lose to Cincinnati and then they lose to Nebraska and then they lose to Michigan State, you know what I mean? That I. So I don't think any single loss, I think it's how the losses would potentially pile up because there hasn't been a pile. They've all, under Urban, they lost two games. They lost consecutive games once, and it was the Big Ten championship game and the bowl game a month mm-hmm. later. Yeah. They've ne- under Urban, they never had a week where it was like we lost and then we lost again. So, or we lost and we lost two two games out of three. You know, it was like a loss and then fixed. So, so that I think is the real test, and that is when again get back to me when they're like three and two, when they've lost to Cincinnati and they lose to Nebraska. And then we'll be in a place that Ohio State has not been in, other than the, the crazy 2011 season, which I just never count because that really wasn't Ohio State. If they're like if they lose to Cincinnati and Nebraska, we'll be in a place that Ohio State has not been in since 2004. That um, we have one more. Do you have time for one more question? We're at two hours and uh, eight minutes. All right, we're still under where you did last week. Oh so, yeah. Um, yeah, which pretty much <laughs> got me through like the entire Woo. drive from uh, Indianapolis to. Randy Wade can carry a podcast, though, man. <laughs> um, just uh, this person asked several questions, um, and so I want to just pick one. Um, this may be too too much for a quick answer, but the top three concerns out of fall camp that have to be addressed in the first four weeks of the schedule. I think one of them just has to be what is Justin Fields is you know. Does he have a good footing? Is he ready to do this? I don't know if that was a huge concern, if that was one of the top three concerns, but it is, I think, one of the three things that has to be established here in these first four weeks. Justin Fields, does he actually look like the five-star quarterback we all think he is? What do the linebackers look like? Because that's we, what I was gonna say. Yeah. That's a great one. <laughs> they were just try- and then. But how many linebackers even play? How many play? Who how many plays? Play? How yeah, they well, look? it's yep. just a whole. And then I think. A, co- line, a combination would... of offensive line and then overall, just what does the defense look like? Yeah, I think I think the, like the structure because they because they changed the whole defensive coaching staff. The yeah. players are the same, so if they're going to play the same players, and again, like when they act like Pete Warner, Tough Borland, and Malik Harrison are the top three linebackers, that's the same guys. Um, if they're going to play the same guys, then something has to change because last year wasn't good enough. Mm. So all they've talked about is how the structure is going to change. Does that structure look like it can be more effective regardless of who's out in the field? And do we have reason to have more belief in this defensive coaching staff than we did in last year's? Yeah. Is that it? Is that it? I think that's going to have we to do it, juice? yeah. All right, so we're going to keep it going. We're, we're like back in the flow. 
Um, you can send questions. Just wait till we put out the call. We'll put out the call every Tuesday. We'll probably, as, as we go through this season, and we've talked about this a little bit, the new structure is going to be Ryan Day's main news conference to kick off the week is going to be on Tuesday. We're going to talk to some players on Tuesday. I'm anticipating that we're normally going to record the podcast on Tuesday evening after we talk to people on Tuesday. So we don't know exactly what the timing of talking to everyone's going to be, but I think Excuse me. I think it'll work out a lot like this. We'll be able to drop it early Wednesday morning because we're doing it Tuesday night. So then that means you guys be prepared for the call out for questions, either on text or on Twitter. And we, again, did not get to the Gmail questions this week, and I apologize for that. But if you are a frustrated, frustrated Gmail uh, writer of questions, I apologize, but also uh, subscribe to the text thing. <laughs> Three ninety nine a month. Give it a shot. Uh, make sure Buckeye Talk continues to be part of your life. Drop us a review on iTunes. Make sure you are reading Stephen and Nathan and me at cleveland.com slash OSU. Uh, we have a whole extra body back on the beat now. Um, and that means we're just going to have an increased flow because we have these two guys who are doing Ohio State football, um, at least for now, because basketball is not going on, but they are doing Ohio State football 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And of course, I will continue to check in. So, Thanks to you guys so much for listening. Uh, how'd that go? You guys all right? You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Other than the sweat. I need a shower, for sure. Yeah. I need I need a meal and a shower and to be able to go back in time about four hours and, and write some stories. Yeah. Not necessarily in that order. And But you know what you really need, Nathan? A mattress and some tortillas. An air mattress and some tortillas. And, and really, what else does a man need? That's Hopefully that's all, because that's all I got. Simple things in life. Um, for Stephen Means, for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.